football poop is doing. Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. As a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Ready to get into it? Yeah, yeah. All right. We're going team by team. I will be very careful about slinging stuff. Am I going to get sued? We got legal on this? I like football, like football season, all the things that go with it. Welcome in to the PFF NFL Podcast, Steve Palazzolo, Sam Monson. We're live on YouTube, and it is time for the Week 3 NFL preview. It's actually Week 4, Sam. We're not going to preview Week 3, so don't turn this off. That thing's already live. That thing's already gone. But we're live doing Week 4. Yeah. You got to tweet it out. Take your time to tweet it out, because I'm going to tell the people, if you did not see yesterday's episode, you missed a great one. JT O'Sullivan joined us, the, uh, the, the guy, the QB school. And uh, the internet's QB coach. We had a great time talking to JT O'Sullivan. We talked about his process, general QB evaluation, Tua Tungavailoa, Brock Purdy, Jordan Love, Justin Fields, Justin Herbert, all sorts of fun stuff. So if you haven't listened or watched that, be sure to do that. That was yesterday's show. Today, of course, we're going with the full week four NFL preview. Already week four. Already week four. Like a quarter of the season almost gone. Right, it's a 17-game schedule, though. It's I know, I know. So it's Remember, less. It's There's no, you know, all yeah. quarter all pro teams. So yeah, it's we're a real about, problem. Now. We're, this is the 23.5 percent mark once right. these games are done. You got to wait until a quarter of the way through week five before you can drop all those. That's right. That's the, those don't come out until the middle. Of the and week. don't buy start before then, so it's never. You, there's never a point. There's never a point where you can hit it ever. It's ruined everything. All right, you ready to get into it? Sure. Full slate. When do buys start? I need a break. Buys next week will be like a be like an off week for us. <laughs> Doing a couple fewer games. All right, Thursday night football. Love this one. Detroit Lions at the Green Bay Packers. We get the Lions favored by one and a half going into Green Bay. A lot of injuries on both sides of the ball here. Um, we'll get into those in a minute, but this is a fun one. Last time we saw them play, that was in Green Bay, right? The uh, the last game of the year last year that Detroit yeah, won on when road, Green right. Bay had the playoffs. Yeah, Yeah, it was in Green Bay. Playoffs were on the line for, for the Packers, and the Lions uh, made a statement. Yeah. Can they do that again? They did. Um, no, this is a fun game. A lot of injuries, particularly from Green Bay. They're getting some players back, but they're also missing some players as well, particularly on the offensive so, line. Christian Watson is supposed to be back. Right. The second-year uh, second wide receiver, Aaron Jones, is And this would be Watson's season debut. This he hasn't played yet. The debut for Watson. Um, the injuries include Zach Tom who's questionable. He's questionable. He's been starting at right tackle. Elton Jenkins is out. Mm-hmm. Guard. David Bakhtiari is out. Devondre Campbell, the linebacker, is out. Jair Alexander, questionable. Doesn't look like he's going to play. A couple others in there yeah. as well. So you're missing three-fifths of the best offensive line or one of the best offensive lines in the NFL, theoretically, potentially. Uh, at least two-fifths, maybe three-fifths. That's yeah. not great. Um, Detroit's pass rush came to life last week against the Falcons. It's been very much the Aiden Hutchinson show, mm-hmm. and um, he got a little bit of help last week. It did help having Desmond Ritter there, but they played much better up front. I think that's – I don't want to say the formula. The formula is not just be better up front, but when Detroit does that, obviously it makes their defense much better when they're getting help from Olin McNeil yeah. and not just Aiden Hutchinson, Hutchinson winning and no one else's creating havoc on the quarterback yeah they really need either a secondary pass rushing threat to emerge consistently opposite or alongside Aiden Hutchinson or they need to really work at you know moving around Aiden Hutchinson to the point where you can't 
you know, take him away as easily. Like <clears throat> they're doing a reasonable job of that, I think, of, of moving him around, lining him up inside sometimes. But if he's the one guy, if he's your only source of pass rush, you're going to need to do it as much as anybody in the NFL if you don't have that secondary threat. He's currently tied for the league lead in total pressures with 19 through three games, uh, had a 90 to pass rushing grade last week. He looks fantastic. Olympic McNeil, I think, is a good player. So that's uh, one useful body to have alongside him. I don't know if he's going to be a consistent like force as a pass rusher, even at his best. So you really need one of those other guys to just just emerge. And to be honest, you know, if Green Bay's without both starting tackles, like that's a good time to do it. That's going to be the interesting one because we've had a, a lot of back and forth with. Uh... You know, Jordan Love analysis and grades and, and, and all that. I think that he definitely had some statistical help early in the year, but in, in you know, through three quarters against the Saints, kind of all over the place. But man, he made some big throws down the stretch, led uh, the 17 point comeback. They beat the Saints 18 to 17 just four days ago. And, you know, they're at home too. We always know the home team on the short week will help a little bit, but um, we'll see if that can spark Jordan Love. I think for him, it's putting together a full game consistently because I think Matt LaFleur has been outstanding in the red zone, scheming it up. Those young receivers have been really good with Luke Musgrave, Jaden Reed, and you know, second-year Romeo Dobbs. Getting Watson back, I think the key with Watson here, keep an eye on when he's in those tight alignments that we have uh, love. When he is there, that's scary because you can run that deep crosser. You can run you know, a little post-corner type deal. Like You have to account for Christian Watson's speed. And the Packers do lean into that and say, hey, we know you have to account for this. We're going to scheme up a few plays for him. And sometimes that does draw the defense and open things up. So um, I don't know how limited Christian Watson would be. But even if it's just you know, 20 or 25 routes that he can run, it does open things up because his speed – we saw last year. It is. It needs to be accounted for. Yeah, but that's a classic, you know, hamstring dilemma that we've talked about yeah, before, right? It's like, the, the, what does Christian Watson bring to the table? Blazing straight line speed. What is the one thing that is a problem for a hamstring injury? Full sprints, right? So it's not. I don't. This is the weird thing about hamstring injuries. I don't understand this world where you bring a guy back and he's like, well, he's all, he's just about ready. We're gonna keep him on a pitch count, right? He can only run. He can only sprint twenty times before his hamstring just snaps like a banjo string, right? Either his hamstring is good and he can sprint, or it's not and he can't. Um, but if he's back, I think it does change things for this offense, which, you know, the Jordan Love discourse has been interesting. Obviously, when it's on Twitter, it's been without nuance as well. Um, I think Jordan Love's been pretty good, right? His grade, I think, for the season is slightly above average, which, you know, is about right. But... When you consider he hasn't had Christian Watson yet, when you consider his offensive line has been getting a little bit banged up, even if it's been doing a good job, just the collection. I'm, I'm excited for the long-term outlook of this offense, right? Jordan Love has already cleared the first bar, which is, does the thing work with you back there? And it does. Like, he looks reasonably good. He understands most of the time where to go with the ball. I think his accuracy is going to skew towards being a little bit scattershot. You know, he's put the ball in risky situations sometimes this season he's just missed some throws sometimes this season I suspect given his college career and given what we've seen so far he's going to be on that side of the spectrum you know more inaccurate than accurate um, but he's capable of making big plays and making good decisions and this offense is so crazy young that if they benefit with the time together and gel it could be much better at the end of the season than at the start um, I, I'm not sure how much it matters, but one interesting note, Jared Goff, number four PFF passing grade so far this year, 
through three weeks. You know, the caveat with all of these small sample sizes, and literally if you take any three-week sample throughout the season, you'll get weird rankings. But <laughs> Goff is number four right now. But also dating back to last year, week 13, he has not had – he's had one game grade under 70. One great game grade under 75, actually. So he's been extremely consistent for Jared Goff, right? A guy that, you know, has had some ups and downs. He's actually – I don't know if the stats are as good as last year, but he's playing pretty well this year, maybe even better than the stats would show for Goff so far. So he's been, did he just turn a corner for the Lions late last year and it started to match the, the on-field production? So Goff's been playing pretty well, even though he does also play much better at home overall. So something to keep an eye no, on. Goff's, been, Goff's looked good. This is as good, I think, as Jared Goff has looked. Um, this, this game is like nothing but injury news. So we talked about the Packers players, another Green Bay player that, could not play in the game, might miss the game. Jair Alexander, their number one corner. That's a pretty big thing. However, Tom Pelissero has come out with a clarification to an earlier tweet that I missed. But David Montgomery will be playing. Taylor Decker will be playing. So that's They were help. both supposed to be out. Yeah, well, not anymore. Correction, he says. Because they were talking, you know, Panay Sewell was going to move back to left tackle and the right. whole thing. But. And they were going to have to be paying essentially a third string tackle against Rashawn Gary, which is... Right. Not not great, Bob. Um, so Taylor Decker uh, will be playing, as will David Montgomery, and Emmanuel Mosley will not be playing. All right. Yeah, Mos- Mosley's not playing. Correct. So everything was the opposite. Yeah, they said he was Okay, so everything was wrong. Yeah. Got it. Um, that's good to know. So Detroit's less banged up overall yeah. than Green Bay. Sure. So Lions by one and a half on the road here. Short yeah. week, Thursday night. I mean, Detroit... My heart wants to say Green Bay here. Really? Yeah. I don't know. Detroit. Against adversity and the whole deal. Against adversity. Detroit were the favorites coming into this season for the division. I think through three weeks, they've shown that they should still be the favorites, but Green Bay will be their closest challenger. You know, Chicago is a dumpster fire right now, and the Vikings don't have any defense, even with blitzing a million percent of the time. So... Um, I think the Packers have pleasantly surprised, but I don't know if they're strong enough with all these injuries to beat Detroit. I think you're right. I, in, I think what's sticking in my head is Detroit. I, I really hated their Week 2 performance against Seattle. Yeah. I really was disappointed with them overall, especially defensively. The first half against Kansas City defensively, they, they struggled. But it's like other, other than that, they've been really good. Yeah. So, okay, I'll go Detroit here. Same. To, uh, to win – and cover the one and a half. I noticed that you don't bring up the last week's record when mine is good. Okay. Last let's week. Give, let's give some people an update on the picks. Last week you were all about informing the people that you were, you know, you had a reasonable week and I had a terrible week. You had an incredible week last week. Thank Sam. you. 13 wins, apparently. 13 and 3 yeah. last week. Uh-huh. We gave you the Cincinnati game because you said Whit, Whit, Whitborough. Whitborough changes Not things. Right. Um, Which, I had nine wins last week. Okay. That's all right. And uh, my son Harry had nine wins last week. Okay. Now, Harry was lazy, didn't do week two. So we don't have his week two numbers. Okay. I bet I could go back and just have him do it blind. Retros- yeah. Yeah, he won't remember. Oh, he does kind of remember. He's like, Daddy, remember last year? <laughs> he still says, do you remember when the Bills beat the Jags nine to six, like three years ago, whatever that was? Anyway, um, I, but we have his week one games in there. He's right around 500. Okay. And you and I are, I'm right around 500 now. Yeah, I'm right at 500, I believe. And you're just over it. So those are our picks so okay. far. 
Well, as a parent, you've had to learn so many new skills to provide for your family. How to do copious amounts of laundry, meal plan for even the pickiest eater, and now how to protect your family's financial future. Well, Fabric by Gerber Life provides an easy one-stop shop for your family's financial needs, offering high-quality term life insurance policies, plus other financial solutions in one easy online hub. Fabric was designed by parents for parents to help you get a high-quality, surprisingly affordable term life insurance policy in less than 10 minutes. Fabric has flexible policies that fit your family and your budget budget with quality policies like a million dollars in coverage for less than a dollar a day. Get your personalized quote in just minutes and then apply when it's convenient for you. It's all online and on your schedule. You can go from start to covered in less than 10 minutes. Join the thousands of parents who trust Fabric to protect their family. Apply today in just minutes at meetfabric.com slash pffnfl. That's meetfabric.com slash pffnfl. M-E-E-T fabric.com slash pffnfl. Policies issued by Western Southern Life Insurance Company, not available in certain states. Prices subject to underwriting and health questions. All right, man, let's get to So we're going to go Discord game of the week here. Okay. That's the Los Angeles Rams at the Indianapolis Colts. Yep, closest game in the Discord channel in terms of votes. And frankly, there weren't that many contenders this week. Uh, Did the Rams stay in town, I wonder? I don't know. It's an hour and a half from Indianapolis. Let's find out. I don't. Did you guys stay in town? (laughs) Colts are favored by one. Is that the line you're seeing right now? Yeah, so the line disappeared for a while. I don't know if there was Anthony Richardson news, um, but it, it got taken down briefly, and the line that I can find currently is Colts by one. In town. Uh-huh. Because there was a team, I think when the Niners came to town years ago, a few years back, back when Kwesi was with the Niners, they went to Cleveland and Cincinnati back-to-back weeks or something, Yeah, and they stayed in the area. So Kwesi came by and... Hung out at the office for a day. Yeah. Because they were in town. Indian Cincinnati is about as convenient as it gets in terms of like two pro- close proximity, you know, destinations week to week. Yeah. Even like Cincinnati, it's like a four hour schlep. That's not, you know. Now, um, what I'm what I'm really screwing over here is our social media team. We've been cutting up all these all these game previews as individual previews. So I'm gonna reset right now. Oh, good. All right. For the for the team. Right? So the Rams at the Colts. Colts are favored by one. It's the Discord game of the week. Be sure to join the PFF NFL podcast Discord. Link in the description of the show. Link in the description. What are you looking for in this one, Sam? Rams coming off a tough loss on uh, Monday Night Football. So we believe Anthony Richardson is going to be back after his concussion. Held this out is last where week. you do the two and anal- out. You do the two pieces of analysis. You do wit and without. Yeah, <laughs> and you say if Anthony Richardson pl- plays, here's what we're looking for. If he well, doesn't play, okay. I mean, obviously, they're, they're running two different offenses, one with Anthony Richardson back there, which is a run-heavy thing. Now, do you change that offense, given that it just got him concussed? Yeah, I mean, it's, I had to answer a question on radio earlier today about Bryce Young and Anthony Richardson both being hurt, and for different reasons, obviously. But you've been watching Bryce Young because of his size. Mm-hmm. Will he get hurt? He had an ankle. But anytime you have a quarterback that you think is going to run 10 or 12, 15 times a game, it's like, okay, you just got concussed in game two. Yeah. of your career you know how do you want to change that game plan i don't think they're going to um but look we we say a lot on this show that quarterback health is on the qb in their playing style and the same reason why I, I do think justin fields gets hurt quite a bit because i think he's not great at avoiding hits he's fast but he takes more hits than he probably should i think lamar overall is really good at avoiding hits, and he's had a couple freaky type of injuries the last couple of years. I think a guy like Michael Vick back in the day, really bad at taking hits, and he got hurt. Um, Josh Allen, he's bad at taking hits, but he is a, 
<laughs> he's just an animal, so it doesn't mm. matter. So where does Richardson fall in that whole spectrum? I don't, I, I don't know if I have overrated him as a runner. I think he's a good runner. You'll scheme some stuff up. I think he probably needs a little bit of better feel for when to take the hit, when to lower his head, uh, when to put on the jets, when to J- – Jalen Hurts is outstanding, I think. Slide when he needs to. Don't take the hit. I think Richardson needs to learn from that just a little bit. It's also very – because it's a concussion, right? It's such a weird – I think we're still very bad at understanding, you know, the impacts of a concussion. Like, it was one of those weird head slamming off the turf – falling backwards type of hits like he came in it was the second touchdown in the corner of the end zone gets in there and takes a shot from a defender trying to come over and stop it like just as he crossed the line and it was you know blasted sideways and backwards and then as his as he went over backwards his head cracked the turf um and that's the the two had one of those last year right that was one of his concussions but it's not like he's you know banged up a shoulder through throwing himself into contact in these power runs or whatever it's like you probably could have avoided that hit if you you know there's no real reason you need to take that shot but we don't know what kind of effect that'll have so I think they probably do try and dial back a little bit how much they're going to ask him to run in this game and then the other thing is I think we saw last week that right now Minshew makes that offense better like there's no benefit to playing him because you need Richardson you think I don't know about that though I think he does he didn't play well at all I mean, they played. didn't score. They, they, <clears throat> they didn't. That wasn't a good offensive performance by the Colts. They kicked four 50-yard field goals in case you forgot, Mac. Yeah. I still think that's a better offense when Minshew's in there than when Richardson is. It's a very different offense, but I think it's better. It is different, but it's just like when we were at camp, you know, I test. When we were at camp, it did look different with Minshew. Balls out quicker, more accurate, more on time. Have you become one of the in-person I can, people? Yeah, I'm, in per- I'm an in-person guy. Okay. Yeah. I'm just trying to add a little color <clears throat> for the people here. Right, because we got to see it close up, and I want to remind people that we were there at camp on August first mm. this year, and whatever I saw that day, I will project that forward for the rest of the season for this Indianapolis Colts team. Okay. And what we saw that day was, yeah, Minshew's a little quicker, a little bit, you know, more accurate, more consistent. But I do think they will still run the ball with Richardson. The red zone's going to be better. They won't be, re- or, you know, the the short area of the field will be better because of that that ability to run the ball. Zach Moss has been good running the ball and breaking tackles. The offensive line has been good, and I think they'll they'll take care of Richardson, and he'll be fine. And he was looking pretty good in that Texans game before getting hurt. Um, and then the big variable here is, can that Rams offensive line avoid a repeat of last week because it got wrecked? I was going to say Colts defensive line. It's So the Colts have the, the number four pass rushing grade when they don't blitz. They rarely blitz as it is. So the Colts have been very good up front. It's like... It's like years of um, Chris Ballard, the general manager, saying, hey, we're going to build in the trenches, build in the trenches. Again, three games in, but you're starting to feel it with, you know, Quiddy Pay and DeForest Buckner and those dudes up front. Um, that pass rush against the Rams, which it looked – that didn't Monday night feel like week one of last yeah. season for the Rams where they just – it was like, man, Stafford – doesn't have a chance. It felt like we expected the like that was the first game this season. We were like, okay, this is what we thought would happen, right? That 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 offensive line can't hold up against any kind of viable pass rush. Consequently, even though Matthew Stafford currently looks great, it's not going to matter because you, the the thing doesn't function when the offensive line is that bad. Yeah. So the the other part is like this should be the Colts analysis is funny because you have Gus Bradley as defensive coordinator. 
and they run very similar stuff all the time, right? Four-man rush, a lot of cover three, a lot of, you know, old-school Seattle stuff. doesn't mean it's easier because, obviously, they would get torched every single week if it was easy to go up against. But it might be easier for Sean McVay's offense, right? It might be, like, the Sean McVay offense for years was like, all right, these are all cover three beaters, right? This is what you do. Um, so it might be a good matchup for McVay. Um, the other thing here that I love, this is the time you get to see like, Quentin. I, again, the injury reports are like tough to deal with sometimes. But is this one of the uh, Aaron Donald Quentin Nelson matchups we get to see? I know Quentin Nelson has not been as he's. Uh, what are we at here? Questionable. I'm hoping we get. It. <laughs> he's questionable with a toe injury. Quentin Nelson hasn't. He's kind of slowed on that Hall of Fame trajectory that was seemed so obvious after two years. Mm-hmm. And uh, they played a few years ago. But anytime you get that matchup, I'm always excited. Yeah, pass blocking for him has at least bounced back this season so far. He's only allowed two pressures in three games. So that part is back on track. Run blocking is still a, a work in progress. But the last two seasons, his performance absolutely nosedived relative to the first three years in the league. Where, remember, the first three years, he was the most valuable offensive lineman by PFF War. Not guard, lineman. So more valuable than any of the tackles. We had this debate when he was coming out. Do you play Quentin Nelson at left tackle? He's so good. Do you put him at the more valuable position? Well, he was so valuable at guard that he was worth more than anybody playing left tackle. So it was working perfectly for the Colts. And then he got hurt, and then his performance just completely fell away. This year, as I say, he's at least bounced back in terms of pass blocking. um, And the run blocking is probably less of an issue if Anthony Richardson is playing because – schematically he's getting some help all right man we got the Colts by one where are you gonna lean in this game here I mean I'm a prisoner of the moment and the moment was seeing that offensive line by the Rams just get just absolutely set on fire by Trey Hendrickson and the Bengals defense the Colts I mean maybe they don't have a Trey Hendrickson but they have more than enough I think to cause problems for that offensive line and unless the Rams figured that out on a short week I feel like the Colts win this Oh, man, I, you're taking the Colts. I'm going to go Rams. I feel like the Colts have played better than I expected in the secondary, but I think they'll do just enough to get Puka Nakua, Tutu Atwell involved in, in moving the ball. So give me give me the Rams as one-point underdogs here. All right, game of the week time. Miami Dolphins. We just had the game of the week. That was the it. Discord game of the week. This is the – Don't be dissing the Discord. They They gave – that's the game of the week. Okay. Officially. This is just some other game that's taking place. You, you, you hurt my official reset for the YouTube cut. Mm-hmm. I have to do it again. Yeah. One of the biggest games of the week. Maybe the biggest game of the week. It's the Miami Dolphins at the Buffalo Bills. Dolphins favored by two and a half. Now we're no. in Buffalo. What? No. Bills favored by yes. two and a half. Yes. Bills favored by two and a mm-hmm. half. I apologize. That's a big thing. The team that just scored 70 is a two and a half point underdog here. Correct. In Buffalo. I made a statement off air that I, as I think about it, I truly believe they should have a rule that when these teams play, the September matchup is always in Miami and and they should always play in December. I like that. It should be like Thanksgiving, you know, the Lions or whatever, always playing on Thanksgiving. Well, that that should be part of the schedule to build in. Bills have to deal with September heat. Now that the Dolphins have to deal with weather. With the winter, with Buffalo snow. Um, Like, We've progressed from the days where Burt Bell had to do the schedule all by himself on his dining room table and make it work, you know? Now there's computers and stuff. You can throw in these variables and it will still function. So one of the variables now needs to be 
Miami, Buffalo. One in September in Miami, one in December in Buffalo. Let's make it work. I like that. It's the best idea you've had in a long time. I have a lot of ideas, not a lot of good ones, though, according to you. <laughs> so I'm glad we at least have that going. So we get the Dolphins with this otherworldly offense. And boy, is it it's just so easy right now to insult Dolphins fans. I'm not even trying. Right? It is just... What'd you do? What'd you say? So, you know, the, the charts are out there with like EPA per play and PFF grade, mm -hmm. right? And those are fun charts because EPA per play, as I always say, is a team-based stat, right? It depends on your receivers. It depends on your play caller. It depends on luck. It depends on the opposing defense. PFF grade, though, is real and awesome, and it really best describes quarterback play, right? So you have some guys that are, you know, getting luck. And, I, you know, I pointed out the guys getting some good luck and some bad luck, and they said, where's Tua? Because he's, like, right on the line. Best PFF grade in, like, in a different stratosphere right. with EPA per play. So I said, Tua's playing well, and he has a scheme and supporting cast that is out of this world. And that was insulting to Tua yeah. and Tua fans. Hmm. I said, he's playing well. Okay, he is the so best-graded quarterback in the NFL. He's the highest-graded quarterback in the NFL. Yeah. He's playing the best, I believe. I don't think he's the best quarterback of all time or having the best <laughs> quarterback season of all time. But his stats would indicate that because, again, I think the – the scheme and the Tyree Kill and the playmakers and everything are putting this into 70-point territory. That's why it's there. Now, again, that's not, I don't think I'm insulting Tua. No. We talked a lot yesterday with J.T. O'Sullivan about it. I also I love the match of Tua with this yeah. Dolphins offense. I don't think you just plug anybody in and it's great. When you look at what Mike McDaniel is doing with all of the speed and the motion and everything, you need a quick trigger man to do that. And so the reason why I say it, it's like the Dolphins' offense, it's like watching it on double speed, is because two is the one doing it, right? When he came out of Alabama, that was the thing. He's like, boom, 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 making quick decisions. Every now and again, like JT said, throw a duck down the field. You'll have a little, you know, rough turnover-worthy play in there. But for the most part, he is working quickly and efficiently, throwing with anticipation, getting the ball in space. And the Dolphins are awesome to watch right now. And Tua is running the show. Yeah. I feel like you're doing the thing you always criticize me for doing. Absolutely doing it. Yes. Reading into like three replies on Twitter and believe that's the zeitgeist. I am absolutely doing that. I apologize. Because I think it's fairly obvious to anybody looking at this in a rational way that Tua is playing well and benefiting from what is currently an absolutely unstoppable scheme. And there's various numbers that will show you that pretty easily. Like... Tua has the fastest average time to throw in the NFL still through three weeks, right? By far the fastest. And yet his average depth of target, it's come down to slightly, but it's still 9.6 yards, which is high, and he's averaging 10.1 yards per attempt. Those things don't go together, right? The fastest average time to throw in the NFL is usually not going to produce 10.1 yards per attempt unless the thing at the other end of the throw is in some way, shape, or form making magic happen. And in Miami's case, that's happening in two different ways. Tyreek Hill and the rest of those receivers are incredible and incredibly fast, and they're wide the hell open because of all this short motion stuff that Mike McDaniel is breaking out. So I think it's fairly self-evident that Tua is playing very, very well, arguably the best in the NFL. And that's being turbocharged by what's happening schematically and with the receivers, et cetera, et cetera, which now, produced 70 points last week. Now, when you're three weeks in, there's all sorts of, you know, conflating variables here. Sure. The Dolphins have played, they crushed the Chargers. They played two bad defenses and one good one. 
Now, are those defenses bad because they played the Dolphins or you know, whatever? But they played the Chargers and the, Dol- and the Broncos and crushed them. They had a lot of success, success against New England, but certainly not as much success as they had against the two AFC West teams. So Buffalo's defense right now, I think it's gotten lost in the mix. Like Buffalo is a couple Josh Allen YOLO balls and a walk-off punt return from being 3-0. and Right, like the Bills should be three and zero as mm-hmm. long as Josh Allen didn't play like an idiot on Monday Night Football. I mean, that's the truth of it. So Buffalo's defense, I keep forgetting. I tweeted all these things out, but twenty. What have they given up? Twenty six points on that side of the ball. They've barely given anything up on that side of the ball. Now at the same time, they played Zach Wilson. Uh, they played the Raiders and Garoppolo on the you know at home, and they played Sam Howell in Washington. So again, how much is that affecting things? But Buffalo's defense is playing. Really, really well. Probably the best they've played in years. Sean McDermott's calling the play. So I love this matchup, right? Both teams are going to get tested for real for the first time here. Yeah. No, I think that's <clears throat> I think that's very true. Like Buffalo, it doesn't necessarily look as great with the schedule, but I think they've shown already that they are still one of the best teams in the NFL. Um, so this is a real test for this Miami team. And even we talked about two bad defenses, one good one. That's reflected in basically all the numbers for Tua in particular. Like, look at the just his stat performances in those two games versus the one. Uh, 10.4 yards per attempt against the Chargers, 11.9, 11.9 against Denver, and 8.3 against New England, which is still really high, by the way, 8.3, but, you know, two yards lower than the other two. Uh, one touchdown, one interception against New England versus three and one, four and zero against the, in the other two games, passer rating, et cetera. So, I suspect the offense still cooks, even against a much better defense, but it's not going to put up 70, you know, which, again, is a fairly self-evident point to be making. Um, So I think we're in this world where, and we saw this a bit last year as well, the first six, seven weeks of the season, this offense is kind of going to be unstoppable. Like, you might slow it down, you might, you know, make some inroads here or there, or maybe you get lucky with a turnover or two that stops the bleeding for a period, but you're not stopping this in the first third of the season. So, stopping it is going to come maybe in the third third of the season, and then the middle third is going to be like teams exploring how to actually attack it. But Buffalo's defense is, is as good as anything they face, maybe better. It's not going to stop it. Like Miami is still going to have success on the, on, with that offense. So remember on the, on the review show I said, Buffalo <laughs> sacked Sam Howell nine times, and it wasn't because their pass rush was out of this world or because the commander's defense, offensive line was terrible. It was often because the Bills took away the first read for Sam Howell. And, oh, by the way, Sam Howell's going to hold the ball forever. Well, but, yeah, judging, I mean, simply, it's not as simple as that always. There's, there's push and pull here. Coverage sacks influence this. But just by the numbers of who it was charged to, Sam Howell sacked Sam Howell four times. Right. Yeah. I mean, out of the nine, right? Yes. I mean, it was like running into them and leaving clean pockets and, and that whole deal. Right. Uh, two is not going to do that with Miami. But what Buffalo can do is, and I'm curious of how much man coverage they're going to try to play. And again, you can't oversimplify that because they're, they're putting Tyree Kill at tight end and motioning him out. And like you can't just man up and play press coverage. It's not that simple. But when Buffalo plays man coverage, they take away the first read. And that allows the pass rush to get home. It's going to be much harder to do that against Miami, but I do believe they can make Tua get to their se- to a second read far more often than Denver did. I know that. And it doesn't mean that's like a death knell for Miami. Tua's had some incredible throws, uh, working through progressions, getting to his next read again, throwing to space. But it, to me, that's the battle. Can Buffalo 
you know, can Tredavious White, uh, Christian Benton, can they at least slow down some of those receivers? The other elements of this, too, is Miami can also run the ball really, really well, as we saw last week, and they've got those speed, that speed, and Buffalo's run defense has been better the last couple of years, but still could be susceptible to the big play. You block it up, there's some big plays in there. Absolutely. Um, so I'm excited by this game. I do think that Miami's offense is going to have success. I I feel like, you know, it's probably not going to be a – I mean, who knows? We, the variable on the other side is always we now know that Josh Allen is spinning a roulette wheel every week, right? And when that roulette wheel comes up double zeros, you get that Jets game. And it's like you, you never know when that's happening. It could be yeah. any single – any time he spins the wheel, but it probably won't be, right? That's the, the point I'm making. Like the roulette wheel, it's like, what, 1 in 39 chance? The, the, the chance for Josh Allen is probably bigger than that. But it's still pretty unlikely. Every time he spins it, most of the time you're going to get good Josh Allen. But any time, it could be bad. Um, if it's good Josh Allen, I think this is going to be an absolute fireworks game. Yeah, the, uh, when they played in Miami last year, it was, what, week three, Allen ends up kind of hurting his elbow. And he was like, not to put everything on Josh Allen, but he, was, he had some opportunities to win that game for Buffalo, and he didn't take them, right? He missed open throws in the end zone. He was, he was bad in week three last year. Four or five turnover-worthy plays. And that was like a big upset at the time, right? I mean, we didn't know what Miami was. Now Miami is starting off similar as they did to, the, to what they did last year, and they're getting more respect, and Buffalo's shown some weaknesses because, again, they, they lost on Monday Night Football. So I love it. It's a great back-and-forth matchup. To me, it does come down to I, I think Buffalo has the firepower to hang with the Dolphins, right? Even though they don't have the gaudy numbers, the same gaudy numbers that Miami has, they've got the firepower to hang. Right? Miami hasn't had to face the Jets' defense yet. They did have to face New England. They didn't have to face the Jets' defense like Buffalo did, though. So I don't know. I think it's going to be a close one. It's going to be a good one. And to me, it comes down to Tua when everything's not perfect for him. Is he going to stay um, stay on point? He'll avo- will he avoid the mistakes? Will Allen avoid some of those mistakes as well? So the heavyweight battle here in Week Four. <clears throat> the one other thing I would say about the Miami offense Buffalo defense uh, matchup: we talked with JT O'Sullivan, QB School yesterday. You know, Miami's plan was just, I love speed. I think speed's great. Let's get all the fastest guys we can find, right? Buffalo's defense is not fast, comparatively speaking. You know, they, their secondary is stuff full of guys that run 4-5. The fastest player they have, I think, in the secondary is Kyer Elam, who they bench. They don't play. Like, he's jumped on the depth chart by Christian Benford, who's a 4-5 guy, right? Like, they, they, their fastest linebacker was Tremaine Edmonds, who left in the, the offseason. Like, this is not the fastest defense in the world. Now, it's still a very good defense. They, they're schematically smart. They funnel... Uh, offensive players to the right areas and they you know they offset the speed thing by alignment and by scheme and things but you know this is an offense right now that is stressing defenses and stressing alignments and stressing assignments and role responsibilities sooner or later there's going to be a matchup where Tyreek Hill is running against a guy that runs four or five and I don't know that you can stop that becoming a problem yeah and in last year when they played in the snow in December as they should Yes. In Buffalo. They, you know, Miami hung tough, right? I think last year, I think we all agreed that Buffalo had a better team. But Miami beat them in Miami, hung tough in December in Buffalo when Tua wasn't necessarily at his best. 
So I mean, they kind of hung tough in the playoff game with Skylar Thompson. And they hung, and they, yeah, and they hung tough in the playoff game, yeah. like way closer than it should have. That was that was part of the Josh Allen, right? The roulette wheel came up double zeros. That was the like the six hour playoff game that was just ridiculous. So, man, I wanted to say Buffalo, but Miami is underdogs here, even on the road. I'll take the I'll take the Dolphins. Yeah, I'm believing in Tua, keeping it up. I feel like that's a disrespectful line. It's disrespect. And you know how much disrespect motivates players. You and the guy on Twitter feeling disrespectful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Mike McDaniel's using that, using that as motivation here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Are we both taking the Dolphins. I mean, he was disrespected by Denver, and look what happened: seventy points. Can't do that. Can't happen. They'll get at least sixty this week, I think. We're back with another week of football. DraftKings Sportsbook is keeping us in on the NFL action with great offers every single game day. New customers can bet $5 and get $200 instantly in bonus bets. Throw five down on any of this week's epic matchups to walk away an instant winner. And DraftKings isn't stopping there. This one's for all customers. You can take advantage of two new offers every game day this September. So football's more fun when you're in on the action. Download the app now. Sign up with code PFF. New customers can bet just $5 to get $200 instantly in bonus bets. Only on DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL with your code PFF. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. Bonus bets expire seven days after issuance. Eligibility and deposit restrictions apply. All right, do we have any other? We don't have any more games of the week. Let's just go. We're going through the slate here. You ready? Yeah, let's go. We're in London. We're in London. This week. We got a 9.30 game. This is wall-to-wall NFL day. Atlanta Falcons at the Jacksonville Jaguars. Jaguars are home here in London, of course. Jags favored by three for their London home game. Falcons 2-1. and one. Jags a disappointing 1-2. and two. Uh, My big question here, Sam, which Jags team shows up? It, we analyze every game, every week, and I, one of the toughest things for me to wrap my head around is, the, is inconsistency not knowing what's going to show up. How do the Jags one week hold the Chiefs to 17 points and then not taking anything away from the Texans or C.J. Stroud, but they get waxed for over 30 Mm. against the Texans last week. I know there was a kick return for a touchdown in there as well. The Jags' defense, this is a multi-year issue is why I'm bringing it up. The Jags' defense is maddening with their inconsistency. Yeah, I don't know what to do with that, right? I mean, I, I don't know that the Jags' defense is great, um, but I think their offense has been much better than they've shown the last couple of weeks. Like, they've been shooting themselves in the foot repeatedly with silly mistakes, um, whether it's drops, whether it's fumbles, and then obviously the special teams gaffes in the last game against Houston. Multiple, remember, block kick as well as the kick return touchdown. So I think the Jags have been better, and I think that's reflected in the, the line, right? It's Jacksonville by three. <clears throat> you wouldn't do that if you'd looked at just the results and the scores over the last couple of weeks. Um, but Trevor Lawrence, like, I've seen sort of people going, oh, where, where's the Trevor Lawrence from last year? The guy that ended the season looking like one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. And we were talking all offseason about if he just picks up where he left off, he's in the conversation to be one of the best QBs in the NFL. I think he is. Like, I think from three weeks, I mean, what is he? He's the second or third greatest, highest graded quarterback in the NFL. It's Tua, Patrick Mahomes, Trevor Lawrence. That's one, two, three. I, I tweeted some stats out there, and um, I've had um, the great Jacquez Green, former Gator, no. called me. Um, he was like, Are you a Trevor Lawrence apologist? I was like, No, I'm just watching the games. The stat was Trevor, so Trevor Lawrence has had three big time throws that have fallen incomplete drops yeah. or receiver error, whatever it might be. And that's most in the league, right? Three different plays. And so just I painted this picture of, well, 
if those three, we're doing what ifs again here at PFF, if those three plays are caught, his passer rating ranking goes from like 24th to 13th or whatever it is. That is a massive move. That is a massive change of perception. Not that passer rating is the stat that you want to use. I'm just saying this is how your perception changes based off three things out of Trevor Lawrence's control. Can Calvin Ridley catch the touchdown? Can Christian Kirk not fall over and catch his pass? Can Zay Jones just keep his feet in when the ball was inbounds in the end zone against Kansas City? I believe it was Zay Jones. Just three passes. I mean, that happened four times in that game. And it also happened other times that are not. So he has seven positively graded throws that have fallen incomplete. That's far more than anyone else in the league. He leads the league in incompletions that have been receiver fault, receiver yes. error, whether it's drops, whether it's not getting your feet down, whatever, like the collection of things the receiver can do to screw yeah. up a play and make it fall incomplete. That, um, that doesn't mean Lawrence is perfect, but this is what happens in three-week samples. The, the, the narrative stuff on Lawrence, it should be he's playing well, receivers are letting him down. That's also, these two things can exist. Did the Jags give him a good group of receivers this offseason? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I love Calvin Ridley. I think he's going to be good. Is Calvin Ridley also letting Lawrence down by dropping the ball so far? Yeah, he is. Dropped two first downs, one touchdown last week. So both things can be true. So through that lens, I think the Jags are going to be okay offensively. And I'm with you. I'm worried about their defense that has the number 29 pass rush grade. And we said that coming into the season. It's Josh Allen with no help. Yep. And that's a concern because Josh Allen's also inconsistent. He has some games where he doesn't show up either. And if he doesn't show up, this Jags defense is not good. And that's way too much pressure on one player who's good, not great. And that's a concern for me in Jacksonville. Yeah, Josh Allen, I feel like, is a good, not great player and pass rusher. And kind of like the, the thing we talk about where average – Having an average offensive lineman or an offensive tackle is a good thing generally, but when those guys run up against Miles Garrett, TJ Watt, you know, whoever it is, Micah Parsons, they lose and they lose bad and it's it's going to be ugly, right? Now that's becoming potentially a bigger problem than it used to be because all of a sudden there's a ton of those guys in the NFL and so the chances are you're going to have to face two or three of them over the course of a season. So now being average and losing in those occasions is a bigger problem than it used to be. But I, I think the opposite is true as well. When you have a good but not great pass rusher, when they run up against a good, maybe great offensive tackle, they lose. And when they lose, they do nothing in the game. And when they do nothing in the game, now you've got a problem if he was your primary source of pass rush. I think that's what you see a lot from Josh Allen is that when he runs up against a player that's just as good as he is, it neutralizes what he can do and you don't get that impact, and there's no one else in that defensive line that generates pressure on any kind of consistent basis, and then they just, that makes everything worse, right? Now you get the Browns defense from a year ago where not only are you not getting the pass rush up front, but you're not getting the secondary help because they're covering forever, like, and everything just sort of falls apart. Um, on the other side, Falcons, can't believe I'm going to say it, say it, but they got to run the ball. Got to get the running back involved. Got to get Bijan back, back on track. He got shut down last week against Detroit, and the offense kind of sputtered. So get your get your playmakers involved here and start with Bijan. Desmond Ritter leads the league in turnover-worthy plays through the first three weeks, yeah. despite being 24th, I think, in attempts. Yeah, and all, rough. But all, all but two of them are passes, not fumbles. Yeah, that's why I said like the Falcons are going to be a difficult one every week because I, I think if you put a different quarterback in there, we'll see what happens with Ritter, but I think if you put a different quarterback— Heineke season? If you put a different quarterback in there, you're getting more out of Drake London and Kyle Pitts and, and some of their – like Matt Collins is their leading receiver, which is fine. I'm a Matt Collins fan here, mm. but he should be the three. 
Right. And, and I'm, he's an okay three. Like, he's proven the last couple of years. Dude can make some plays. But not more than Drake London or Kyle Pitts, I don't think. No. I know Pitts looks like he's hobbling a little bit coming off of his injury. But um, get Bijan involved. Um, I like the Jags to bounce back, though. I'm going to predict the Jags to bounce back. They're favored by three. I think they'll cover the three so, here. There's always this conversation that takes place around this offense and around the utilization of their playmakers and stuff. Who's right? they? The Atlanta Falcons. Falcons, yes. And it's like, you know, this team is misusing Kyle Pitts and they're misusing Drake London and yada, 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 right? And this always gets back to Arthur Smith. Like, they ask him about it. It's like, what the hell? And he's, his line is always kind of like, you know, we're not interested in stats. We're interested in winning games and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And it's like, it would be less of a problem, I think, if, you know, the numbers weren't great, but they were at least using the right players the most. The problem is always, it's not that Kyle Pitts is not getting you know, 15 targets a game, it's that he's being out-targeted by Jonu Smith, right? It's, it's not that Drake London is not putting up 150 every game and, you know, rivaling Justin Jefferson. It's that Matt Collins is the team's leading receiver. Like, these are the problems. It's not, it's not that you're just underusing these guys. It's that you're actively pushing the ball in the direction of worse players. And that's probably not a great idea. Like, I get you can't just always throw the ball to two guys because, you know, the teams can figure that out, right? You've got to spread it around a bit. You've got to use them as decoys. You've got to do something. But they shouldn't be they shouldn't be the decoy every play is what I'm saying. And that's currently kind of how it works for those guys. Yeah, and unless, unless Desmond Ritter can become a better facilitator, I mean, think about what that would look like if you had someone who's distributing a little bit better and every single week you're trying to figure out who do I stop? How, you've got a creative, well-blocked run game with an outstanding rookie running back with a great backup running back in Tyler Algier, and you have a Drake London and a Kyle Pitts and a Mac Hollins. What do you do defensively? I don't get the sense that defenses are saying, oh, no, what do I do against the Falcons, other than little spurts here right. and there. I thought week one it was, it was promising. You just haven't seen that consistency. I'll yeah. take the Jags to um, right some of their wrongs offensively here and, and put some points up. Um, yeah, I think I'm in the same boat. I I don't know quite what to make of this Falcons team yet. Um, they're, they're a very difficult team to get a handle on. They've been good and bad. The offense is a unique proposition for any team to have to contend with, but I think the overriding, my, mo- my one big motivating uh, force coming into this game is that idea that Jacksonville has been better the last two weeks than they've looked, and eventually that's going to stop, you know, happening. Like... The point about small sample sizes, it's not that those players stink. It's that those players have collectively made a bunch of big mistakes in two weeks, and that's probably not going to continue long term. All right, man. We're on pace for about a six-hour show. Sweet. We're four games in, 45 minutes into the day. Somebody do the math for me, but um, more than 45 minutes in. Let's see how we do. We're not going to do this in under two, under two hours this week. Well, not if you keep spending time talking about how we're not going to do it. In two I'm just, we're, we're very transparent here. Got to be transparent. All right, Cincinnati Bengals at the Tennessee Titans. Bengals favored by two and a half on the road in Tennessee. Titans, another one of those teams that have been completely different at home. versus. I mean, they've got one game at home, win in overtime against the Chargers, where they look pretty good. And on the road, Tennessee's offense has been atrocious. Now, they went up against the juggernaut that is the Cleveland Browns last week. They went up against a good Saints defense. So that is where early in the season, how much do you weigh both of those things? But um, Tennessee's offense sputtering a little bit. Cincinnati's offense also sputtering. Joe Burrow playing through the calf injury. Clearly not the same offense. Bunch of drops the other night. What are you looking for in this one? Yeah. um, 
that was the first time the Cincinnati defense, I think, had looked like itself this season, which was yeah. a big part of it. Like, obviously, all the focus was on Joe Burrow, his calf, how the offense was going to look. But kind of lost in that hysteria was how nothing else had looked good either. Like, everything about Cincinnati had been pretty rough the first couple of weeks. That was the first week where that defense really showed up and looked like a Lou Anarumo defense that we expected to see this season. If that happens again, that puts them on the plane of, you know, maybe not quite as good as Cleveland, but with the New Orleans defense. Like, it's up there with the best defenses that have shut down this Titans offense and made it look very bad. Um, Trey Hendrickson, we saw what he was able to do against a not very good offensive line and left tackle in particular for the Rams. He's going up against Andre Dillard, who you know, isn't a very good left tackle as much as they paid him quite a substantial sum of money to do that. Um, The offensive line for Tennessee, it's better than it was a year ago. It's still bad. And I feel like that Cincinnati defense will do another number on the Titans offense and really limit them again. Yeah, I feel the same way. You're right. I mean, there's um, Anna Rumo's defense when it's, when it's clicking it, there's a, there's elements of deception yeah. There's elements of I think they create those Trey Hendrickson one on ones extremely sure. well. I think they get into it well by how they disguise up front, and they just and they play creatively on the back end. And they and remember the, the 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 narrative that we were pushing for a couple of years was hey you get into the second half of a game and the guy makes adjustments and he's going to take away what you do best. It did feel like that the other night. Did you hear Sean McVay's comments talking about um, I forget what specifically he was talking about, but. He was basically sort of saying, you know, the reason we did this over and over and over again was because we were getting the looks that said that play should work, you know, and we kept going or and then it yeah. didn't. And it's like, yeah, but had it did it occur to you that you were getting those looks because they were showing you those looks right. and then not, you know, actually attacking the thing. They were baiting you into doing the thing that they wanted you to do because they knew that they could shut that down and dominate it. It's it sort of felt a little bit like that Super Bowl, you know, where the Patriots just gave him the look that they wanted him to see every play. And because they knew that they had the answer to that. Right. I, I, that's, I wonder if McVeigh is still very susceptible to that of like just doing the thing that you get the look for and then not ever really figuring out that the team wants you to do that. Maybe you need to zig when, when they want you to zag, you know? I didn't hear that comment, but that is an interesting one. And it sounds like something uh, Lou Anarumo would be really good at mm. is, um, is that disguise up front. I'm interested in actually seeing Tennessee's run game here. Um, DJ Reader, you know, when he's at his best, as good as it gets as far as, you know, run-stopping nose tackle. I believe last year they did a nice job against Tennessee's run game, if I'm remembering correctly. Um, Yeah, I'm with you as far as, like, I think Cincinnati's defense is going to start to find their stride here, continue to find their stride. They'll have this advantage against Tennessee's offensive line. My question is that Cincinnati offense, what do we see from them? It was, dude, they dropped back more. Was it the second most dropbacks in Burrow's career? in the game where they were trying to protect him. Yeah. And is is that them just... With Aaron Donald on the other side. With Aaron Donald on the other side. Is that them, you know, zigging when, you know, is that just doing the opposite of what the Rams would expect? Or is that actually the game plan? They're like, hey, we can't just do what we did a couple of years ago and run the ball 25 times with Joe Mixon. We're going to pass to set up the run. We're going to go quick hitting pass game. And that's our strategy. We're, it does feel like this offense is just treading water until Burrow's more confident throwing the ball down the field. So I'm interested to see if it's like spread to spread it out. Yeah. It's a quick hitting pass game, which is not great for this team with, you know, Jamar Chase can do it all, but like you don't want to be Jamar Chase, you know, 15 targets at, 
you know, three yards average depth of target. That's fine. Like he played, they, they got him involved the other night, but you still want those big plays at some point. So I want to see if they're just treading water with quick hitting pass game again, um, which I think can work, but it won't be as explosive as it can be until maybe week seven or eight when they, you know, have, hopefully have a healthy burrow. Yeah, I feel like that was the plan. Um, his average time to throw was extremely fast. Obviously, Jamar Chase got 15 targets. Like they were. I think the plan was to try and just get the ball out of his hands quickly and right. therefore limit how much they're going to ask him to move around on that calf. Um, and it worked. Like, the problem I think Burrow has is, number one, the calf thing isn't going to go away. Like, this is right. something he's going to be dealing with. Number two, he already didn't have a cannon, and the calf takes velocity off his arm. Like, there were a few plays in that game where you're like, ooh, like, that looked like late-career Drew Brees, you know, where it just died. Like, I'm firing it out to the flat, and it just just sinks. You're know, like, he just doesn't have the arm anymore. That's what that looked like a few times. He still had some zip on it or still had some distance on it as well. But there were definitely a few plays in the area like, wow, that, that didn't look great from an arm strength perspective. You know, if Josh Allen gets a calf injury, the dude has more than enough velocity to, A, be able to lose a few miles per hour, and, B, make up for it from the hips up burrow doesn't so when he's losing a few mph it makes a difference um i don't know if that's something the tennessee defense can take advantage of but it's a i think it's a long lasting weakness to this bengals offense for a while like it's not it's not something that was just there monday and then next week it's gone that's going to be who he is i think for a while on the other side i'm curious to see if you know lazy analysis if tennessee's just better at home they, they stayed within their game flow a little bit better against the Chargers with you know, running Derrick Henry and you know, Tajay Spears, I think, could still be good. The offensive line for like the ninth straight year, better run blocking than pass blocking. There's, there's a world where Tennessee plays their game and Tannehill has one of those, hey, he's going to finish you know, 19 for 25 and be really efficient with a run-heavy attack where Tennessee's going to play their, their tough defense as well, if especially you were, in the interior. If you were the Bengals' defense and Lou Anarumo and this – let's dictate terms, right? Would you want them to keep Derrick Henry on or off the field? Because right now it's kind of an either-or proposition. Like you can dictate the plays that Derrick Henry is going to be on the field by how you line up on defense effectively. I'd, yeah, I mean, I'd probably want them running Derrick Henry into seven- and eight-man boxes and, and trust, trust Reader. You, you could run a seven-man box because of Reader up front. So I'd, until Derrick Henry shows me he's got the juice, and again, there's been, there's been other seasons where the, he's – He's been sleepwalking through weeks one through five, and then boom. Usually he faces the Texans and, like, goes off, right? Yeah. That could still happen, but I would make him prove it. But the big difference this year is he's not playing. Like, the one thing that Derrick Henry has always done is play, like, all of the snaps, right, or almost all the time. And, yeah, he's had, like, unproductive stretches, but but the hope – I remember those – the cliches for running backs. You know, they get stronger the more you give them the ball. They get – the harder to bring down the fourth quarter and all that kind of crap, right? And a lot of the time it's not true. And Derrick Henry, it always has been. The more you give him the ball, the longer he he carries it, the further into the game you get. All these things increase Derrick Henry's production or at least don't see a drop-off the way they do with some other backs. You can't – I mean, that doesn't work if he's only having 17 snaps in the game. That's not even enough snaps for him to do that, for him to like get the benefit of the tire and everything, right? If he's only playing 17 snaps and carrying the ball 11 times, you basically can't get Derrick Henry, the, the real version. Yeah, we'll see how it looks, man. I think um, I'm a little... I, I, 
Tennessee as a home underdog, I think, is attractive, but I'll take the Bengals to cover cover yeah. the two and a half. I think the, I think they should continue to get better, much like they did last year. I feel a little better about them doing that now after seeing it. Yeah, I'm also taking the Bengals, but I agree that any anytime you're overlooking or writing off a Titans team, it's dangerous because you know Mike Vrabel, everything they're capable of doing when they show up, it's always risky. All right, man. It's uh, another one of the awesome games this weekend in this one o'clock. The one o'clock window has got some stuff going on. Baltimore Ravens at the Cleveland Browns. A couple two and one teams we're in again, the north. We're again with this ridiculous three, three, four or four twenty-five p.m. games and nine at one o'clock. How nine? Why? Which breaks your double multi-view. You can't do it. You can't watch everything on right. two TVs. We're in a world now where they've designed Sunday Ticket, YouTube TV, and yet we're specifically yeah. putting that. Ninth game in the If you were commissioner, window. would you do a consistent like six and six? Ones I don't know and, if I would evenly like, split it because they do that like like week eighteen. It's like yeah. no, we're doing half at one, half at uh, half at four. I don't know that I would evenly split it, but I would definitely like there would never be fewer than four games in the four p.m. block because why would there be? Yeah, I there think would a never consistent be more than eight. four in the four o'clock window is good. Yeah, I do love that whole the witching hour deal, like three forty-five. On a Sunday afternoon, there's like six fourth quarter comebacks happening. I do love that, mm-hmm. you know. Anyway, Ravens at Browns. Let me reset again for YouTube. We got the Baltimore Ravens at the Cleveland Browns. What a matchup here! Browns favored by three. I'm doing it for our social media people here, Sam. You're just a man of the people. I am a man of our people. Chris suggested it too, you know. He did. I listen to the boss. Yeah. Because Chris is Chris can't handle six-hour podcasts like we put together. Right. But he likes the chopped-up versions. Gets mm-hmm. what he needs. He was also he suggested you know you should tell people why so they can go go watch the the individual video or the the, the single one. You don't have to sit through all eight hours of the. You should podcast. though. It helps our numbers. You should do both. Right. Because they all help our numbers. Right. So you should watch the full podcast as you are right now, but go also back. go get the individual videos because it's better for our numbers yeah. and that makes us look good. Then go back and listen to your individual video and really dive in deep and pay really full attention because yeah. it's only, you know, make sure your watch time, make sure you watch it start to finish because that also helps. <laughs> that makes us look good to management. Yeah. And when we're in contract negotiations, negotiations with management, we'll be here longer. And that's good for everybody. Good for everybody. Yeah. yeah. Full transparency. Uh-huh. All right, Ravens at Browns. What are you looking at? I got to reset again. Oh, God. Um, Browns defense, really quick. Yeah. Looks Number phenomenal. one. So I get two numbers here. EPA per play allowed for a defense with uh, no blitz. Number one, Cleveland Browns. Your four-man rush, your Miles Garrett's, right? All their additions. But when they blitz, they fall to number two in EPA per play allowed. The Browns defense, there's a lot of numbers showing how good they are so far. And... Um, no matter which way you slice it, the Browns' defense is legit yeah. through three weeks. You want the best stat for the Browns' defense? I do. The Browns' offense has contributed to more points for the opposition than the Browns' defense has. Two touchdowns to one. Wow. They've given up. That one. Is the Browns' one. defense has given up one touchdown. The Browns' offense has given up two touchdowns to the opposition by turnovers. Fantastic. Yeah? That's really good. It's good, right? So that's a matchup, man. It's a matchup against the Ravens. Um, do you have? I don't know if you have a strong opinion on the Ravens' offense so far. I'm I'm a little torn on it. I don't think it's been. It's the new look, right? It's the mm. it's the post Greg Roman era. I don't think it's been great overall. It's different. It's far more horizontal. Yes. And you should have. Uh, I believe Ronnie Stanley and Tyler Linderbaum should be back. I can't wait to watch more Tyler Linderbaum, their center, former first round center, in this offense because it gets the playmaking center into space more. It's far more horizontal. But you've got Zay Flowers catching all those short passes, not able to do much with it. Like you're you're missing this explosive element. Dante Hall, he's Dante Hall. Um, you're missing some explosive element to it. 
Um, I think the horizontal will play well against this Browns pass rush, right? You might be able to try to break a few plays in space. You have to protect yourself against this pass rush this week. But I'm, uh, I'm, I think the Ravens just look okay offensively so far. Yeah, no, it has only looked okay. But look, they've been, they've been injured as well. Remember, like this looked like the best receiving core that Lamar Jackson had ever had to work with. On the other hand, they were changing to a scheme where they were going to require more of them on the field at the same time at any given moment. So it, the, the depth didn't necessarily improve. It, you know, you, there are more of them on the field at any, on any given snap. But if one gets hurt, you, it's as thin as it's ever been because right. the next guy up is still the same guy it used to be. So OBJ has been hurt. You know, the, they, the group has not been healthy and consistently on the field at the same time. So I don't know that it's had the impact that people thought it might. Um, I also think is through, what, one week, two weeks, we were like, oh, maybe we are wrong on Zay Flowers. And then three weeks, it's like, eh, maybe actually, maybe he is actually a little bit more limited than people were giving him credit for. When you look at his route tree, it's very... It's very Dante Hall. Like, I, we have this slot guy who makes insane moves happen. We don't quite know how to use him fully. And sure, he had that one pass down the field where Lamar hit him in the face with the ball. Beautiful, deep pass. But that's kind of been it in terms of any sort of extra creativity with the, the route tree. So we don't quite know what he's going to be yet. I think the offense is still going to be decent. But, you know, now it's going up against what looks like by far the best defense in the NFL. And... You know, Ronnie Stanley coming back, but Ronnie Stanley has come back before, you know, and not been Ronnie Stanley when he came back. And the test this week is Miles Garrett. On the other side of the ball, my curi- uh, what I want to see here, right? So Deshaun Watson coming off of his best statistical game with the Browns, even though there was an Aaron Brooks throw the ball backwards play. Yeah. Um, best statistical game. Best grade as well, right? Best grade, I believe, yeah. So Even so, with the Aaron Brooks play in there. And... And you, and it's, but it's week two without Nick Chubb. And last week's run game, I know the, the Titans, the phone booth thing, I made a phone booth reference a couple weeks ago. Nobody People, no, no, what, what is that? You know, tight, tight game. Um, Tennessee did a good job bottling up the Nick Chubbless run game. If Baltimore does that again, you know, how much, like there's a lot more pressure on Deshaun Watson, not just because he's got a ton of money in the bank, guaranteed, but the whole offense is going to run through him and the pass game a little bit more now. Because there's going to be more games where the game flow gets out of hand for the Browns. A little bit more pressure on Deshaun Watson in the past game to to win it for the Browns. Can he do that consistently? Yeah, though I think, I mean, obviously it's different when you have Nick Chubb out there. Like, he's probably the best running back in the NFL. But I think the run game will be okay. Um, They still have one of the best run-blocking offensive lines in the NFL. The running backs that they currently have don't look bad. They're just not Nick Chubb. So I think generally it'll be okay. I mean, Tennessee have a really good defensive front, so that makes sense that they were slowed down versus them. Um, I kind of feel like all the money in the bank is reason Deshaun Watson has no pressure whatsoever. You know, what does it matter to me if I play well or not? I got two hundred thirty million in there. You are really good at getting into the mind of a billionaire. Yeah, you are not now, because only you haven't you haven't played. Now, granted, you've never played like me at the uh, professional level. Correct. Right, so you might not be able to get into our headspace. Right, as a professional, yeah. As a professional. Mm -hmm. Um, But as a professional, when you have money in the bank, you're not just like, hey, I'm rich, I'm good. You know? just just, Not that I can relate. I was going to say, just just to clarify, Deshaun Watson currently has about $230 guaranteed in the bank. How much did you ever have in the bank? Would you say $230 he has? Uh, $230. Dollars, got it, got it. Um, 
so I didn't say, hey, I got my 230. <laughs> I'm good. I'm set. I said, At least for the this next team's meal. paying me that 230. I need to do well by them. I need to go prove it. So you feel a different sort of pressure to live up to that, you know, plus your general pride and, well, you know, pride in your work. I just, I, I feel like that might not scale. You know, I think for $230, yeah. you might think, you know, I do need to focus on where the next 230 is coming from. The sto- I do always tell the story, though. Buster Posey, you know, future MVP, was my team, teammate in AAA. I'm making no money. And my, my thought process is, like, just keep my job. He's over here, like, I just made $6 million. I'm going to the big league soon. I want to do well by the Giants. I did hear that. You know, you sense that from him. Right. So, so you think, well, I got the money. I don't – a high-level athlete <laughs> – like a Buster Posey, not me, like my teammate, yeah, yeah. wants to do well by the team that invested in them. So mm-hmm. I think Watson is going to feel that type of pressure. Pressure. Okay. And I'm not talking about like off the, I'm saying like the pressure as in you might have to drop back 40, 45 times a game now, a little bit yeah, more often carry the team. than you did. And we haven't seen him play well for an extended period of time. So he's got to start putting those games together where the game flow gets out of hand. Mm-hmm. Gosh, we're unbelievable at getting off track here. Do you know today. who leads the Baltimore Ravens in pressures this year? Adafi Owe. No. What? Who? Jadevian Clowney. Jadevian wow. Clowney, this sort of... Number 24. A- right. This, a- yeah, afterthought edge rusher signing, who's now wearing number 24, one of the most abominable numbers for any position in the NFL, currently has four more pressures than anybody else in the, the Ravens. He's actually... I mean, he's making an impact for them. Yeah. All right, man, there's a lot to look at here. Miles Garrett versus a returning Ronnie Stanley. You've mentioned before, is he going to come back and actually be right. uh, healthy? But Miles Garrett has been wreaking havoc, and, and he's got friends up there. He's got a lot of help. And I, I think the Browns keep it going, man. I think they're going to uh, – Lamar's fumbled the ball a ton. I think they're going to cause some problems for this Ravens offense. Yeah. And I think the Browns offense just needs to kind of keep it afloat. Keep an eye on Kyle Hamilton. He had those three sacks last week. They're blitzing him putting them all over the place. Watson's going to – this might be an ugly defensive battle. Do we have weather in this game? Can we get a weather report here for this game? But it's the Browns by three, man. Too much for me. I'm going Baltimore to cover. You are, huh? Can't buy into three-point favorite Browns without Nick Chubb. <sighs> yeah, you're probably – you might be right. You know what? I'm going to go Cleveland now. I am going to go Cleveland. The PFF, you know, the, the, the green line, the money, the, the data – says that it should be closer to two points than three. So it's buying into the... In Baltimore. Yeah. There's probably not enough strong data to believe in Cleveland. Plus, I assume our data is also not going to you know, love defense week over week, remaining as dominant as they are. So that's probably what's happening there. All right, let's go Washington Commanders at the Philadelphia Eagles. Eagles favored by eight and a half here in this uh, NFC East division battle. Eagles undefeated 20-1. and one. In the last 21 starts for Jalen Hurts. Mm-hmm. How many times will Sam Howell get sacked? Hmm. Coming off a nine-sack performance last week against Buffalo, and you're going up against one of the best defensive lines of the Eagles. He is now on pace to be sacked like 100-plus times in the season, which is like 30 more than the David Carr record, you know, or was it year one? Yes. Against year one for David Carr behind an expansion offensive line, right? Like, was it the first year of the franchise? With one of – which led to one of my favorite commercials of all time. Yeah. Where they said, the draft is coming up, and they showed, what does your team need? I said this a few times, but, like, what does your team need? And it shows David Carr under center, and they, they uh, deleted the offensive I line. I remember that. Yeah, and it's yeah. him in front of, like, behind five blank people. Hmm. And uh, got sacked 76 times. And I think— But ESPN at that time, they didn't know 
sacks or QB stat. And they're like, maybe we shouldn't blame the offensive line. They didn't know back then in 2002. I mean, I suspect that offensive line was cheeks. I'm sure they were terrible. But I also suspect that David Carr heavily contributed to that sack number himself, um, which I think is exactly the same case with Sam Howell. I think he is heavily contributing to the number of sacks he takes. As I said, last week he was responsible for four uh, on the season, it's up to seven, which is the most in the NFL by three. Um, I mean, that's what? He's been sacked 19 times, seven out of 19. What's that percentage-wise? Uh, 368, 36.8. There you go. 36.8. He's responsible for, you know, 37% of his own sacks currently, which is a huge number. I'm like a circus freak. You really are. In feed, several different ways. Feed percentages to Steve. If we just find a way of combining height with percent, percentage naming on command. No one else can that's do that. Your, that's your niche. You think anyone else could do that? I don't. Um, man, like uh, two things to highlight. Uh, Jalen Carter is probably like one game away from you mentioning him as much as you would mention Aaron Donald. Like we got to mention, like Jalen Carter's unbelievable. Leading the NFL for interior defensive linemen in terms of pressures. By our numbers, NGS apparently has Javon Hargrave with like 182 pressures through three games. You know, I don't I, believe um, correct. I, I like the people that put, oh, so NGS numbers or ESPN's numbers? NGS. Yeah. I'm going to be honest here. I trust PFF more than I trust anything that's NGS related or yes. track, tracking data related. I don't think people understand that that number is essentially into- automated. I just want to, it's important to mention, right? Because the number of people throwing that number at me, their number, as far as I understand it, is effectively automated using tracking data, which has some flaws because all it can do is tell you effectively the proximity from the lineman to the quarterback and then the relative positioning of the blocker within a certain space of time, right? What it can't do is tell you, okay, but is the quarterback aware that that's happening? Because if he isn't, it's not pressure. Also, is the player like up on his feet or not? Because there's been a situation where a guy was on the floor at the time, not pressuring the quarterback, but it went down as a pressure. Now, if you're rolling toward the quarterback. Slowly. I think that's okay. Yeah. But if you're being tossed. Although you're not allowed to grab him anymore, remember? You can't. Because now you've gone low at his ankles. It's not yeah, allowed. You just don't make contact. You have to, and then you jump up and pull him down. <laughs> From the floor. Anyway, my point being, I don't believe that their number is correct. I feel that there are flaws in the automation system. There's a reason why you don't let a computer, you know, drive you home most of the time. Because people have some important input in these things. Uh, so anyway, Jalen Carter leads the NFL in pressures for interior players. He looks pretty special. He does. And I, I want to give a shout out to his running mate, Jordan Davis. Because... Last year, Jordan Davis, I think, got off to a slow start. The Eagles' defense didn't necessarily need him. But we spent so much time during the draft talking about the impact of a 360-pound nose tackle who can let you play light boxes and play the run, and we'll see if he's a good enough pass rusher. And then Jordan Davis also played hurt last year, just didn't look right. He looks right this year. He is the Vita Vea type of plays where he just wrecks a guard or a center. Best two graded players on the Eagles defense, Jalen yeah. Carter. Jordan so Davis. I wanted to highlight that. I mean, those are the, their la- two of their last two first-round picks. Do you know who number three is? On the defense? For the Eagles. Mm-hmm. Reed Blankenship. Yeah, it is. How about that? Baller. Yeah. That dude's good. You're a Reed Blankenship fan. I like him. I like yeah. him a lot. Um, anyway, so Jordan Davis has been, you know, the, the draft analysis on Jordan Davis, the people that loved him and said this is guy, a guy that will make an impact, is, is making that impact right now. Um, the Eagles are fascinating, though, too, because their offense hasn't hit their stride. 
they've had those games. I, some of the the blocking that they have up front for DeAndre Swift, mm. I mean, that fits my like just just get a fast running back, and if you have a good offensive line, he'll run fast through the big hole. Like that's what Philadelphia is doing right now. So the offensive line looks great. The run game is looking good. Haven't hit their stride with the pass game yet. I don't know if that's actually encouraging. I thought it looked closer. It was, be- it's getting, it was better. It was definitely better. But you have like a drop time. in the end zone from AJ yeah. Brown. It's like they're not all firing on all sides. No, but for the first time, it, it looked a lot more like the Eagles than it had the first couple of weeks. And that was a game where apparently a bunch of the offense had the flu or whatever. Like they weren't, you know, physically they weren't 100% going into that game. Wow, and yet that game, looked huh? closest to the Philadelphia offense we've seen so far. So I think similar to Jacksonville, I think that's probably a positive thing. We know that it's better than this. Eventually yeah. they'll you know, click itself back into form and, and be good. So, yeah, I mean, I think the Eagles are – they haven't looked quite like themselves, but it sort of feels a bit more like rust than anything else. I think this Eagles team is still going to be one of the best in the NFL. Um, just to give a little bit of love to the commanders, I want to see their defensive line again. They got kind of shut down against Buffalo last week. Buffalo schemed it up pretty well to protect themselves. I think they'll have, they, they'll have a chance to have some success to at least put some pressure on mm-hmm. Jalen Hurts for, for some turnovers. And then Sam Howell, watch, man. Like, there's been a lot of positives, but, yeah, if he doesn't if he doesn't cut down on the negative plays, I don't think it matters how well he throws the ball. No. He's thrown the ball well overall. Made some terrible decisions last week, but he's thrown the ball pretty well. Got to cut down on all those negative plays. Yeah, last week I think it was kind of a perfect storm of bad Sam Howell. Like, I think that was all of his negative traits on maximum percentage took a ton of sacks that he shouldn't take, threw a bunch of balls into silly places that he shouldn't have done, and it just, it all amounted to a disaster. The problem is, like, week one and week two, they won the game, there was some success, but they were against teams that aren't good or don't look good, and then the first good team they played, they got stumped. So now you're like, well, okay, now you're facing another very good team. What does that do? Are you going to split the difference between those two things, or are you, in fact, going to get stumped anytime you face a good team? I feel like the baseline, even against a good team for Sam Howell on that offense, won't be as bad as last week. All right, man. Let's go. Um, I had one more thing to say. Maybe I don't. <laughs> Eagles favored by eight and a half. Yeah, it's a big number. Um, I think so. Washington's offensive line. I mean, I was, people were saying the offensive line. You know, last week nine sacks, like. Okay, we already said four of them were on Sam Howell, and then there was a lot of coverage in there as well. There was a couple quick losses yeah, in there. there were, uh, absolutely. I'm not saying it was flawless, but like, remember last year, people were acting like the Broncos had the worst offensive line in the NFL because Russ was making it look like garbage. Yeah. I, that's kind of where we are with the Washington thing. It's not a good offensive line, but neither is it anywhere near as bad as it's being made to look at the moment. Tell the people in the chat. I mean, Andrew Wiley's not great at right tackle, but yeah, it's not the worst offensive None line. None of them are great. Yeah. Like, they have. They they've sort of they have a similar offensive line to Buffalo. In all honesty, like they have deliberately kind of attained a bunch of players that are average to above average, uh, or below average in some cases. And unlike Josh Allen at their quarterback, they have a quarterback that makes that look way way worse than it is. Um, so I think generally this is not a terrible offensive line, but Sam Howell is potentially making it look catastrophic. You know, against that Philadelphia defensive line, that's potentially a fairly nasty combination. Ugh. It's a lot, and it's a big number, but I'm going to go with the Eagles. Yeah, I think I am too. Man, I'll take Philly. To cover the 8.5. They just lost 37-3, to three, so mm. I'm a prisoner of the moment. 
Our newest partner is AG1, the daily foundational nutrition supplement that supports whole body health. I drink it every single day. Kick my morning off with a little AG1, get all the nutrients that I need. It is fantastic. Makes me feel great to kick things off with my caffeine in the morning, put something good into my body right before breakfast. So that's what I do with my AG1. All great athletes have one thing in common, as we've just talked about, Sam. I know great athletes. They take care of their bodies. They use things like AG1 to get their 75 high-quality ingredients. because That's how they kick off their day, too. So why wouldn't I do the same thing? Get into that nice little habit. Makes your whole day much better. And maybe you don't have to eat as many vegetables, you know, mm. which I don't love eating vegetables. So I get all my nutrients from AG1. And I love that it costs less than $3 a day. Pretty good deal, if you ask me. Effective daily habit with high quality sourced ingredients. That's a win-win for us over here on the PFF NFL podcast. If a comprehensive solution is what you need from your supplement routine, then try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash PFF. That's drinkag, the number one, dot com slash PFF. Go check it out. Yeah, it's a great way to uh, cheat the whole eating healthy thing, you know? It's like, eh. It's supposed to be a supplement. You're not really supposed to. No, I'm not saying you like completely, you know, it's not like pizzas 24-7 and then AG1 in the morning and you're set. But, you know, rather than having to stuff yourself full of uh, healthy things and vegetables, you can get a real head start in the morning with just a, uh, you know, not a shot of AG1, but a a glass of the AG1 stuff. Completely agree. It's good stuff. Drinkag1.com slash PFF. All right. We got five more. One o'clock games to do. Uh, Tampa Bay Bucks at the New Orleans Saints. Saints favored by three here. Jameis Winston getting the start here for the Saints. And, of course, this is the twice a year Mike Evans yes. versus Marshawn Lattimore battle. Always fun. Mm-hmm. Mike Evans is so good at football. And it is amazing how outside of basically four throws, four, four catches, I think, in the last seven years. <laughs> I'm talking like significant catches, touchdowns, big plays. There's been like four over the last seven years, Evans versus Lattimore. Yeah, we need like a – we need to pull up actually at some point what Lattimore's just career looks like against Mike Evans, like the whole thing. We've got to be approaching. I saw somebody try to run uh, – It's got to be like a full somewhere. season's worth of games at this point, right? It's probably like 09 Revis. It's like the best season we've ever seen yeah. from a corner. So it's, uh, it's always a battle. And, and this was a concern even when Tom Brady was the quarterback and the Bucks' offense was great – this was a concern. They struggled against the Saints' defense. Not every game, but in a lot of the games. And now you have – look, Baker Mayfield, I think, is – for I jinxed him the other night, still probably playing the – it's like the best three-game stretch we've seen in four years from Baker. Three years for whatever that's worth. But he is getting to that point where it's like, hey, uh, Mike Evans is my dude. Chris Godwin's good, but I'm chucking it up to Mike, you know, at least a few times a game. And so – uh, when when Brady was here with the Bucks, he just there was oftentimes he wouldn't even look Evans' way, and he would distribute the ball elsewhere. I wonder if Baker's going to be mature enough to do that, or if he's just like whatever, I'm doing it. I'm throwing to Mike. I, like there's a chance Marshawn Lattimore comes out of this game with like five pass breakups because they keep firing the ball to him. Maybe Evans wins a couple, but uh, I'm curious to see how Baker runs this offense with that um, expected matchup on the outside. Well, the Saints D last week had seven pass breakups, which is a pretty crazy high number. They were collectively getting that ball separated from the hands of uh, Green Bay's receivers. Um, Marshawn Lattimore, like we know, as we said, he's going to have that kind of game against Mike Evans. At this point, it's unreasonable to not expect that to happen. Is there a chance 
that Jameis Winston is actually a better quarterback for this offense than Derek Carr. This is a perfect convergence of my takes here, Sam, because we're in uh, year eight where I've been predicting. I've, I've been sitting on Jameis. eight years of a Jameis Winston breakout. I'm in year eight of that. I'm mm-hmm. in week two of predicting that the Saints offense is ready to break out and that I like Derek Carr over – like Derek Carr is fine. Like he's a fine quarterback. I would predict the breakout with Derek Carr as the quarterback. But as I mentioned on the review show, Derek Carr's red zone work has been atrocious, a 28 grade in the red zone this year. The Saints offense is ready to, to pop a 30 spot, right? They're ready to pop 30 points any given week. I don't know if it's this week, but I'm going to predict it again. Like the Saints are ready to explode. Jameis has been waiting to explode for eight years. Coming together. Combustion is happening this week. Jameis, he's going to, he's YOLOing it to Chris Olave and Jawan Johnson. Every week I just list the playmakers. Rashid Shaheed, right? And then in the red zone, I'm not saying he's going to be better than Derek Carr, right? (laughs) He's probably not going to be worse. But there's probably going to be a pass in this game. Vita Vea is bearing down on him. You got 350 pounds of man on you. And Jameis is like, what do I do? I could take the sack or. Before hitting the ground, I could throw it up. I could throw it up, and somebody's going to catch it. Might be wearing a Bucks uniform, my old team. Might be wearing a Saints uniform. That's a touchdown. But I'm <laughs> going to throw it up. It's going to happen. So I am fired up for this game because anything can happen, but I'm predicting big breakout once again, Jameis Winston in the Saints offense. Okay. And then the Bucks are going to – I think they're going to have a tough time moving the ball against the Saints defense. I, I mean, I'm kind of curious what – so the thing about Jameis is we had, you know, the, the Tampa Bay career, which culminated in that ridiculous 30, 30, 5,000 yard season where <laughs> through 5,000 yard, 30 touchdowns and was eventually like the end that resulted in the entire league saying, we don't want you starting anymore. This was too crazy for anybody to deal with. Even if he had 60 touchdowns, it's a, 30 interceptions is right. unacceptable. Can't so do it. the entire league coming off a 5,000-yard season decided that you, your time as a starting quarterback has simply ended because of that. Uh, so he's, he's been on the bench for years now. Um, and some of that was uh, with, with Sean Payton as his head coach at the time where Sean Payton was seen as you know this QB whisperer and blah, blah, blah before, <laughs> before Russ and Denver happened. Um, I do wonder if that's changed him in any way, shape, or form, right? And if you get a run of Jameis now, because we've had, like, he's played bits and pieces in a couple of seasons, right? But never more than 200 dropbacks in the last four years. Uh, Like, has he changed in any way? Has that influence of different coaches and this work on the sideline, have they been able to curb his tendency to go YOLO and crazy and whatever? Or do you just, like, you know, if we get enough Jameis, that's who he always is, because actually, in a weird way, that guy might be right for this offense. You know, old YOLO Jameis. You know, the, old YOLO Jameis was a lot like when you, you draw up those kind of clusters of style of quarterback, right? He would be very close in position on those quadrants to Ryan Fitzpatrick, right? A guy that just drops back, closes his eyes, and goes, what the hell? Let's see what happens. Am I feeling lucky today, Right. And the thing is, when you get the right group of receivers, that can go really well for you. 
And it happened for Fitzpatrick a couple of times, right? With the Jets, when he had Brandon Marshall and Eric Decker as receivers. With the Bucks, when he had a good group of receivers, right? Absolutely. You had these runs where Ryan Fitzpatrick was playing out of his mind because that YOLO style was being rewarded by giving very good receivers the opportunity to make plays repeatedly. The Saints right now have a group of very good receivers. Now, stylistically, they're not quite the same as those Brandon Marshall, you know, Mike Evans-style sure. players. So that potentially changes things a little bit. But I think it is a group that is crying out to be given more opportunities with the ball in, let's say, some you know, more 50-50 situations, right? Not guaranteed open plays. And Jameis is just the cowboy for that job. I love it. Look, you're on board with me. You're on board. Saints have the number six receiving grade as a team, and their pass grade is only number 21, as in coming from Carr and you know, yeah. limited, limited Jameis Winston. They're ready to explode, Sam. They're ready to explode. Okay. the Saints. I'm here for it. Saints are covering the three here. Covering. Yeah, I'm going to go with that, too. I think the Saints. Are we like the same in everything? Uh, we might be. Uh, that's not good. Not good. Probably for you. Denver Broncos at the Chicago Bears. Yikes. 0-3 versus 0-3. What you got here? Hmm. The Broncos. Oh, so here's, here's the state of the situation. The Broncos are coming off of a game where they gave up 70. They did. Going on the road. It's a lot of points. Gave up 70. Lost by 50. <laughs> they're going on the road. And they're favored by three and a half. That's how bad things are in Chicago. Yeah. Yeah. Just some perspective there. Uh-huh. Um, there's also some uh, some propaganda going around Yeah, that uh, Russell Wilson has the same stats this year, roughly, as Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah. It's like, I don't know why. Like, what, What's the point in that? Like, you literally watch the games, and you what? know that one of Russell Wilson's touchdowns was a Hail Mary heave. But presumably and you know is. that Patrick Mahomes had a perfect pass dropped for a pick six. Like, if you just change two plays <laughs> in three weeks, just change two plays in that tweet is no longer valid. And changing them to, like, the usual outcome. Yeah, change them right. to the expected outcome. Like, the Hail Mary should fall incomplete, and the catch should actually be caught and not a pick six. So, anyway. And plus, there's advanced stats that say that's ridiculous. All that said, Russ is playing better. Yeah. And that's going, like, a little under the radar. Like, he played pretty well last week. I mean, it was, that, yeah, it was that's all garbage time. No, but he's, he's well, I mean, making some better throws. Yeah. The, that offense looked much better last week than it's looked for a while. And and that was with the game, you know, getting away from them quickly and only ever heading in one direction in terms of getting away from them. Like, Russ was... So, yeah, the, the numbers will be padded in terms of volume and inflated that way, but actually he was playing better than he's played before and doing his best to keep pace with the Miami offense, which just never let up and scored a touchdown basically every time they got the ball. Uh, Russ couldn't do that, and therefore the game got away from them, and they, they got hosed by 50. Um, but the fact they put up 20 in the first place is, you know, significant. Yeah, I mean, I do think that offense is, is okay. I think the defense is now under all kinds of pressure. Oh, my that, gosh, yes. That was embarrassing, like genuinely yeah. embarrassing for a defense that's supposed to be good. I mean, that has talent. That group was very good a year ago. It's now under new, under new stewardship, and it got – they got a 70-burger hung on them. And remember, maybe the most insulting part of that is they, like, voluntarily chose not to take the record. It's like, nah, actually, we're just going to 
run the ball and turn it over on downs and, and leave it knowing with everybody here knowing that it should have been the NFL record in terms of points given up but wasn't because we're benevolent like that we're not going to stick the knife in one last time they should not be that bad no they should not be that bad I mean it's difficult to be that bad okay Miami's offense is amazing you know we gave them all the the flowers at the start but that was an embarrassing performance by this Denver defense and it has to be trying to make a point this week against what is a wretched Chicago offense yeah so I don't expect the Broncos defense to be that bad no um you know you've got got to play the Chiefs twice in the next few weeks and I don't think they'll be as bad as they were against Miami um but at some point it did look like a look Miami deserves all the credit and it also looked like Denver was just terrible like they're whether it was I don't I never say teams quit but I mean there are some plays where they just yeah nothing was good nobody was good on certain plays the the picture of five people falling over and all the what how many missed tackles were there in that game 24 24 missed tackles by the Broncos and gap control like everything was bad so I don't expect that level of extreme they're professionals you would think there'll just be some sense of pride where they'll play better this week quit is a word that triggers people a lot but I think it's reasonable to say that there was a point in that game quite early on where they just wanted off the field yeah you know they wanted out of that game and didn't want to show back up and that didn't help matters in terms of points being put on the board I don't and I don't want to like look we're we're up against it time-wise but I don't want to shorten any Bears analysis but I would suggest for Fields analysis in particular like go to yesterday's show I don't think we're going to add more we I don't want to rehash everything no so Justin Fields analysis go to yesterday's show we talked with JT O'Sullivan our opinions his opinions there's a lot of good stuff in there one point we've collectively made over the last week or so is that Chicago's offense done a very bad job of calling those designed runs for Justin Fields and you know playing into his strengths right against Kansas City they did that more they called several designed runs at the start of the game but as the late Austin Gale pointed out on Twitter Rest in peace. Um, <laughs> I was talking to him last night from from beyond the grave <laughs> I was talking to him last night and telling him if you go watch the tape and he pointed out that on those design runs like they're just basic read options right and they're so basic that Kansas City essentially just dictated give every play, right? If you're going to run a basic zone read, we're just going to keep the guy, the, the, the guy that's being optioned. He's just going to play quarterback and make you hand it off right up the middle. They're playing give and they're playing the boot. Right. because both are, both are dangerous. But that's the least yeah. dangerous thing that can happen is you handing the ball up, up the, off up the middle on right. an inside zone play, right? So – even when they're going back to this, well, let's try and give design carries for Justin Fields. Like, they're doing it on such a basic level that the defense is not even vaguely stressed. They're just like, ah, go nuts. Hand the ball off to the running back up the middle. So, bottom line is the same for Chicago's offense. Everything stinks. It's bad across the board. Name a factor that plays into the success. It's bad. And now it's going up against a Denver defense that surely is going to be motivated to show that they are not the embarrassment that they were last week. Uh, just going back to the Russ statistical analysis as well, it is, um, it is pretty much all Marvin Mims, right? If you just take out Marvin Mims and throws <laughs> to him, Russ is the same guy as last year, and we're not even having this conversation. Seven catches, 195 yards, 7.2 yards per route run, plus a kickoff return for a touchdown. Marvin Mims, 27 receiving snaps this season. So get him back out there. Broncos. I think they'll. Uh, Russ will have time to throw against this Bears poor pass rush, second worst in the league. 
Um, so I like Denver to look better. We're going to just agree on everything. No, we dis- uh, did you you disagreed switch? on Baltimore, Cleveland. Yeah. Oh, and Indianapolis and the Rams. That's good. Okay. So we're not crazy. On total lockstep. Why, did, why is it? What's going on? My brain keeps typing Dean. in Dean instead of Den. Cool. Denver. Take the Broncos to cover the three and a half here on the road. Pittsburgh Steelers at the Houston Texans. Steelers favored by three. They're suddenly two and one here against the Texans. One and two coming off of their first win against the Jags last week. C.J. Stroud setting all sorts of record records. Only player in NFL history to have 900 yards and no picks through, through their first three games. Really? Yes. Hmm. So Stroud, high-volume passer so far, a couple times because they were in, you know, playing catch-up. But coming off his best game last week against Jacksonville and the Steelers, defense finding their stride. Should be a fun little matchup. Yeah. I, I mean, this I think will be interesting because it's a much better test for Stroud than last week and probably the week before as well. Um, he's had four turnover-worthy plays this season so far which have resulted in zero interceptions. Uh, now, fourth turnover-worthy plays for a guy that's dropped back 140 times is still a pretty low number. Like, I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I'm just saying that, you know, zero is a false number potentially there. Um, but his grade has gotten better every single week as well. Like, 55 against Baltimore is nothing at all to be, you know, encouraged by. 65 is a lot better. 84 is very good. Um, but now he goes up against Pittsburgh, and, okay, the Steelers have had their problems, but their defense, I think, is legit and enough to cause some problems particularly obviously tj watt so yeah i mean i think we get a much better look now at what stroud can do against real teams real defenses uh but i like certainly what we saw from him last week and that receiving core i think is actually pretty good yes they um they definitely surprised me on offense good job bobby houston's looking good pff bobby pff bobby doing a nice job uh you know, since since Pittsburgh is the most anti-PFF city, uh, particularly their media, who is just, you know, yearning for the days of Steel Curtain and Terry Bradshaw throwing the ball for, you know, six times a game. That's the end of it. We have PFF Bobby fighting the fight over here against Pittsburgh this weekend. I'm not biased. I don't care what happens here. I'm just saying that's, that's an interesting <laughs> dynamic. I will also say, if there's Pittsburgh media who absolutely doesn't watch this show, um, You're talking about one specific golf attired looking jackass that tweeted something. There's, there's a few. Okay. There's a, you know, there's a bunch of them. Except my friends, you know, the Pony, Pony and Muller. Yeah. PM show. Those guys are great. Um, Steelers use PFF as well. <laughs> Maybe more than you think. <laughs> yeah. I, got, I got data. You mm. might use PFF a little more than you think. Oh, you control or you have access to who actually who's in there and how yeah. much and how often and like where I they're can, going. Like I know how many times Bill Belichick's logged into PFF Ultimate. I yeah. know. I have that information. Nice. Right? I know these things. I know which teams use it the most. Mm. Yeah. Anyway, um, fun little match. I mean, Pittsburgh, what a, what a weird offense this year, right? I mean, it's been a two, they've had a 70-yard play each of the last two weeks, and then everything else has been, eh. You know, not great. Outside of a couple drives here and there. Can, yeah. can the Steelers find some consistency in a groove here? They've almost become like a caricature of what the the concern was heading into the season that it might be, right? Like before we saw them in preseason and training camp, the, the offseason narrative of, you know, wow, this is a really good group of playmakers, but, you know, Matt Canada. Like, you know, hey, is it going to be held back? But, well, the answer is yes. Yes, it is. Uh, but it's it's like... 
holding it back so much, and then every now and again, one of those guys just overcomes the offense to make a huge play. Uh, and that's, I mean, that's what we're looking at. Calvin Austin looks incredible. Um, George Pickens is George Pickens plus the ability to make some big plays here or there. I think it is a fantastic group of playmakers, but the offense itself is is just terrible. There's no there's no creativity and danger to what it's doing. Um, I think one of the most impressive things on the other side, though, is the the Texans' offensive line woes. I, it doesn't sound like Laramie Tunsil's coming back for this week, and Josh Jones sounds like he's hurt and out. And so Austin Deculus might start at left tackle here oh, for dear. Houston. Now, the good news, well, is that good news? George Fant's on the other side. Yeah. TJ you, Watt. Not right. Good. That's not good. <laughs> Having said that, it's probably probably better than Austin Deculus. Yeah. Now, Fant has a 71 grade right now. Yes. In the Shanahan scheme, right? We talk about schemes elevating quarterbacks. The Shanahan scheme and derivatives, right tackle. They all they made um, Tyler Columbus look great oh, look at back Tyler in the day. Strays. How about that? Tyler, do you listen to us? No way he listens to us. He's in the media now, I think. Is he? Yeah. Nothing against Tyler Columbus, but he was not the highest PFF grade guy until uh, one year under Shanahan. That's pretty close to, to up there with, you know, the Derek Watt stray from the other night. Yeah, that's good. I mean, Derek Watt, he doesn't have a job. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> um, anyway, I, I kind of like in this matchup, the, uh, what else did I want to say here? Yeah, Pittsburgh's defense is tough. Now, they're, they're also interesting because they're – they're kind of big play driven like they've been carved up if you, not if you take away the big plays they've been carved up but also they're creating big plays turnovers sacks inter- you know the so what pittsburgh defense do you get here can stroud continue to take good care of the ball because pittsburgh got three interceptions well, really two real interceptions from garoppolo and one late but um can the steelers keep making those big plays yeah um they they have like I was I was just trying to figure out Patrick Peterson I think called us out in his podcast but actually offered to have somebody on his show you know bring a PFF guy on so we could air his grievances person to person and I think you're the man for the job only there's no obvious contact point for Patrick Peterson's podcast so we somebody need get, we need somebody, somebody to reach on with out Patrick Peterson please. right NFL podcast at pff.com or find us on Twitter we're out there. Somebody reach out so we can actually make that happen. Because, frankly, I think you talking through Patrick Peterson's, <laughs> Patrick Peterson's negative plays with Patrick Peterson is some must-watch TV. You think me more than you doing that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you're the guy. Even if it's not on this show, I think that's must-watch television. So I'm, I'm here for it. Let's make it happen. Yeah, somebody, somebody but I need get, somebody on their side to make it happen. Somebody get Patrick Peterson on the horn. We'll talk. Right. All right, man. Anything else about this game? Uh, no, I mean, I, I feel like Houston's – I feel like Pittsburgh's defense is probably going to slow down that Houston offense. We'll get a – you know, we'll get a much better idea of whether C.J. Shroud can limit mistakes under pressure in this game relative to some of the other ones. Um, I do like what he's done so far. I do like his receiving group. That offensive line is going to be an issue given how banged up they are. And then, man, it's really like can Pittsburgh's offense get out of its own way and make some plays? Yeah, so Pittsburgh favored by three here in Houston. Give me maybe buy into Stroud a little bit. I don't love the matchup, but let me, let me, let me give Stroud some love here. Bobby some love. I also remember we've, we've brought Jimmy up Houston. A, nice. We've brought up a few times recently the, uh, like the adjusted score thing, you know? Should my team actually have got its ass kicked or not? 
Pittsburgh, for the last two weeks, according to those numbers, have effectively won games they should have lost, which tallies with, you know, that's if you Mike watch Tomlin. the game. Yeah, that's um, Mike Tomlin. Oh, it is. Oh, man, just bring that up to Pittsburgh media. They'll love that one. Well, by the adjusted scores, Pittsburgh's 0-3. <laughs> Imagine that one. That'll, yeah. that'll really fly. That'll really endear you to the TJ Watt people. <laughs> yeah. The cavemen will really love that one. Uh I'm going to buy into the Steelers. I think they're going to cause shrouds and problems. This is um, the first time I've called out Pittsburgh media on this show. Because we, we have, like, we, the Steelers fans who, like, do listen to us are like, yeah, it's trash. It's I mean, a terrible. lot of them, you know, a lot of them are assholes. <laughs> they are. They are. We don't need to name names, but there's a lot of jackasses that, that do that. There's, uh, there's been a PFF hit piece. Like, PFF is trash. There's been, like, one to five PFF hit pieces for the last ten years. Each of the last 10 years. We're not going anywhere. No matter how many hit pieces you guys have. That's all. Okay. Yeah. Just saying. Minnesota Vikings. Are we into the 4 o'clock yet? Nope, we're not. Another 0-3 versus 0-3 battle here. Minnesota Vikings at the Carolina Panthers. Bryce Young should be back here. Vikings by 4. I'm sorry that I keep responding. to. I'm, I'm, it's because I've been yanked back into the Twitter sphere. And, and I'm back doing what you do. Responding to one-offs. Uh-huh. Like a jerk. Like an absolute jerk. <laughs> like an idiot. Here I am. Out, an it's idiot. Right. And now it's we've fine. got a six-hour show. And Look, we're just, we're here. We didn't name names. We simply pointed out that there's a lot of douchebags that work for, that cover the Steelers. You yeah. Know? And I'm some sure there's them, nice people. There's there. nice people as well. I, I was on a Steelers podcast that, that's very nice human beings. You're on with Pony on a regular basis. There's some good people. There's just an abnormally large number of, you know, tools. Anyway. Where the heck are we? Carolina, Minnesota. Minnesota favored by four here. At the Panthers. So, Bryce Young is back. Uh, the offense got better when Bryce Young wasn't in the lineup. So, Which we kind of expected. Yes, against a pretty bad-looking defense um, for Seattle. So that's point number one. Point number two is Brian Flores and the Minnesota Vikings are blitzing the ever-loving crap out of every quarterback they come up against. And now you're facing Bryce Young. So, Do we need to articulate what the game plan is going to be? So here's some numbers. To chew on here, Sam. To chew on. To chew on. To digest. The Vikings have blitzed by far more than anyone else in the league. Yes. Uh, we saw it last week. They're, what, like 80-something percent of the time. They're blitzing like crazy. They've got the number 26 EPA per play against when blitzing. Right? So they're actively... I'm not saying it would be better if they didn't blitz. I'm just right. saying they're actively choosing this strategy. They're blitzing and it fun. isn't working. Yeah, that is unsuccessful. I mentioned on yesterday's show with JT, the film last week against the Chargers was absolutely wild because the Chargers would come out in a spread look on first down. The, the Vikings would jump into their third down blitz package, basically, and it looked like every play was third down of the entire game. If this happens again, I'm not, Carolina is going to be a little bit more controlled, right? They're not going to be like spread, spread, spread like the Chargers, but this is going to test Bryce Young. Blitz recognition, getting rid of the ball quickly, having an outlet. I don't know if the Panthers have those answers. Now, Adam Thielen is a good blitz beater type of answer. I don't know if they have anyone else besides him. Uh, the other stat here is Minnesota, with all that blitzing, has the worst pass rush grade in the NFL. Now, if you create an unblocked rusher, you might not get a great grade or anything, but usually when you send six guys a lot – you'll have one-on-ones for your defensive linemen. They'll win a little bit more, and they'll, they'll help their pass rush grade. So Minnesota is blitzing a lot, not winning one-on-ones, and not getting home enough to affect the pass. That's, that's a bad combination. <laughs> All that said, the Panthers' offensive line has been horrendous 
Yeah. Battling injuries, and this could be the week where Minnesota actually has some success, whether they decide to blitz or not. So that's the thing. It's the extremely resistible force against the extremely movable object, right? (laughs) pillow fight. Yeah. It's a pillow fight up front. Brian Flores effectively came out and said, look, we were going up against a really good quarterback and we want to try and speed up his process, so we blitzed him all of the time. Uh, And they were, you know, the Chargers have a pretty good offensive line, so you're probably not going to get pressure without doing that. It... It's crazy, but it might not have been the worst call. Like, it might be the best they could do, right? We're going to get gashed anyway. You might as well go down swinging is effectively the the thought process. But against Carolina, they're on pace to give up more pressures in a season as an offensive line than any team we've ever seen in 15, 16, however many years you've been doing this, right? Like, some 300-plus pressures over a year. Uh, So this might be one of the only teams in the NFL where the Vikings can look at this and say – we might actually get pressure with four, you know? We might not need to blitz. Um, Bryce Young has actually not been blitzed a lot at all this year. 17% of his dropbacks, crazy small sample size because there's only two games for him, and he's done reasonably well against that blitz. I wonder if this is actually the game where the answer is not blitzing. The answer is actually sit back, yeah. rush four, flood the zones with defenders and make Bryce Young find something that he hasn't been able to find so far in the NFL. I actually think it looks like it might be an error based off very limited bits of information to do what you've done the last three weeks and go nuts. Look, Brian Flores loves to blitz regardless, but I wonder how much not like Marcus Davenport has, what he played, three snaps? He's barely played. Yeah. Um, Davenport hasn't been there. How much of that is not having your guy opposite Danell Hunter? This whole season, mm-hmm. um, Davenport's going to be questionable again. Wasn't seen at practice yesterday, so yeah, this will be a. I'm, I'm interested in that side. I'm interested in what the Vikings do defensively every single week because it is at this level of extreme, and it's uh, hashtag fun to watch. And I, I, if they do blitz like crazy, how does Bryce Young handle that? And does, does do they have answers in Carolina? Other side of the ball, look, we mentioned Minnesota's lost their three one-score games here. They were 11 and 0 last year. Minnesota's passing attack has been good. Cousins still playing pretty well. Justin Jefferson still uncoverable. They're finding those other options. I think things will turn around for Minnesota as long as their defense isn't atrocious. And um, which it is at the moment. It is, but I think they'll have far more success against the Panthers this it, week. It, so it will I'll be. take the I'll take the Vi- the Vikings are favored by four for a reason, but I'll take them to cover even on the road here. It would be funny if they went from eleven straight one score victories. To 11 straight, one score defeat. It just ends up at 500? Right. At exactly 500. We regressed to the mean by very unusual methodology. That'd be pretty extreme. That'd be a win for the nerds. <laughs> a win for the nerds. Told you so. Uh, all right. Uh, Carolina, four-point underdogs at home against a team that's 0-3. Did you take Minnesota last week? I think you're always wrong about Minnesota. I think that's probably true. Um, hmm. Do the right thing. What is? The, I don't even know what the right thing is in this game. Whoever's going to cover. I think there's a game plan for the Vikings to stop Carolina's offense. I'm just not convinced they'll employ it. <laughs> uh, they'll keep blitzing and Bryce yeah, will carve, them carve them up. Yeah. Like, ah, oh, damn it. Okay, if that's my logic, then I have to go Carolina. That's the wrong thing. Minnesota's going to cover the four in this okay. one. Uh, Las Vegas Raiders at the Los Angeles Chargers. Chargers favored by five and a half. We're finally into the slate of three, four o'clock games in that window. Good news is that shouldn't take long. Uh, was this one and 
Did the Raiders win? Yeah, they're one and two. One and two versus one and two here. Uh, we're buying the Chargers. They back, baby. They back. I mean, it's classic Chargers that they finally look a bit more like the team that they were supposed to be and in the process lose Mike Williams to an ACL. Mike Williams hurt again. Yeah. Brutal. Uh, so uh, ACL tear, he's out for the season. Does this become Josh Palmer? We see more Quentin Johnston. What are we looking at here? I am assuming that Josh Palmer becomes, you know, the next guy in that offense. I think based off, you know, what we're seeing so far, he has a much better chance of being in like a heavily involved part of the offense than Quentin Johnson does maybe over the year, which is what we're talking about now with, with an ACL. Um, that will change. But right now I think this is a, a Josh Palmer bump more than a Quentin Johnson bump. Um, again, I, wa- I want to direct people because we won't spend a ton of time just breaking down, say, Justin Herbert or whatever in this, but direct people to yesterday's podcast. We had an excellent discussion with JT O'Sullivan about Justin Herbert, some of the stuff he saw specifically in that Minnesota game, but some high-level discussion about Herbert, his strengths and weaknesses and where he can improve. Um, always fascinated to see the Kellen Moore offense, right? It's gone from they were chucking it downfield in week one, running the ball like crazy, and then they come out last week as I mentioned earlier, spread, spread, spread. There's no Austin Eckler in there, and they were just a pass-first offense, and Herbert drops back 47 times, and they hardly ran the ball. Um, it is interesting to me that they're going to do that on a week-to-week basis, you know, kind of play the, play the game plan a little bit uh, based off their opponent. So I think with the Raiders, their pass rush has been a little bit better than I expected, you know, even, even beyond Max Crosby, but it's not great overall. And I think there's definitely some mismatches, even without Mike Williams, some mismatches to be had against that secondary. So I wouldn't be surprised to see another pass-heavy attack here for the Chargers. Yeah, I think that's true. I mean, I think that's probably what they're going to be generally this season. Um, I think they are going to lean into that. And I I like that part of their offense. Um, You know, we talked about the last game, how telegraphed that Raiders offense was, that it's just Devontae Adams and not much else. Devontae's already seeming pretty pissed off with how things are going there, which is not a great sign for how, how that's going to unfold over the course of the year. If Aaron um, Rodgers was healthy, you'd, be having, you'd have all those trade rumors. Like the, yeah. Have Devontae and Garrett Wilson in New York or mm-hmm. something. Not that that could even instead, poss- be possible. Instead, everybody's going through misery. Uh, Max Crosby is questionable and limited at practice yesterday. He is, Chris mentioned on the broadcast, workhorse, plays a ton of snaps, hates coming off the field. We'll see what happens with him. Jimmy Garoppolo also in concussion protocol. I haven't seen an update on his expected, uh, you know, whether or not he's expected to play, but that ends up becoming like a 50-50 proposition usually if you're in concussion protocol by Wednesday. Is that Mm -hmm. right? So just something to keep an eye on there. Brian Hoyer has been the backup. But the great Aiden O'Connell is lurking. The great. Yes. I'd rather see Aiden O'Connell. Oh, absolutely. Given, given that preseason. Nobody, nobody wants to see Brian Hoyer starting a game when Aiden O'Connell is the alternative option given what he showed in preseason. Does it mean he'll be great in the regular season? No. But does it mean it's a more interesting game to watch than a Brian Hoyer-led team? Absolutely it does. I think a Garoppolo keeps this closer. If he doesn't start, I like the Chargers covering. Can yes. we do a... Are we doing a a wit without? Yeah, wouldn't without. I'm taking the Chargers either way. Okay. Although actually, no. For the hell with it. Yeah. Hmm. If Aiden, o- well, if Aiden O'Connell starts. No, I'm taking the Chargers. You can do wit wit or without Aiden O'Connell. <laughs> without Aiden. That's the wit without. No, I'm taking the Chargers. All right, I'll just take the Chargers straight up to cover the cover the five and a half. 
Arizona Cardinals at the San Francisco 49ers. 49ers favored by 14. Uh, remember last week, Cardinals were Against a team a that just beat Dallas. Yes. Cardinals were 12.5-point uh, underdogs. Now, does this show you how just how strong San Francisco is? Or uh, the man in Vegas is saying, look, Arizona, you're feisty, you're playing tough, and Jonathan Gannon's got you, you know, pew, pew, doing it, right? Zoom, Keep zoom. Playing tough. Playing tough. But it doesn't matter. It's going to run out at some point. He, uh, he got a zoom out of the backfield with Rondell Moore right up, the, right up the middle. Zoom. Touchdown. Okay, so that'd be a good tweet, right? You get him. Did we already talk about this? Doing the thing with Rondell side by side with the video of Rondell taking it to the house. Yeah. Put that out there. A couple million <laughs> right there. A couple million. Uh, San Francisco's favored by 14. They've got their – they're playing Dallas next week. Almost sure. Almost yeah. positive. You're right. San Francisco's a really good team, and they've been – maybe more impressive than any other team in the NFL relative to expectations, um, or at least my expectations. I think, though, we've seen enough from Arizona to say they're going to fight against anybody. Like, okay, the Dallas thing, maybe that's like a false level of where they are. They they maybe should have lost that game anyway, or at least had it been closer and not, you know, where it was. But I just don't think this team's going to get wrecked by anybody. Like, they're playing too hard on both sides of the ball. And sure, they've got a big talent disparity, differential, but two touchdowns is a lot. It is. I, again, I, I hate to repeat myself. I don't actually. I repeat myself all the time. You, in fact, you enjoy it. But we talked with JT about Brock Purdy yesterday. And I think we, we, we agreed with JT O'Sullivan on a lot of stuff yesterday. I think he was – I'm not saying we're not impressed with Brock Purdy – but he's been, he was, he's been very impressed with Brock Purdy while also, of course, acknowledging system playmakers and those fun things. But coming off of being a seventh-round pick, now coming off the elbow surgery, all these things that he's come back from and um, had this consistent success, even if there was a little bit of luck in there, uh, I think he's been impressed with Brock Purdy. And there might actually be room to grow there because, again, he's still a young starter. And even if it hasn't been perfect – He's in a nice environment, and there's, there's room to improve. So I thought that was interesting hearing JT talk about uh, Purdy and you know, how impressed he's been with his fit within the system and the additions that he brings to the system, maybe beyond a Jimmy Garoppolo or some of the other guys that have been there in the past. Yeah, I mean, I just think you look at – I was just looking through the, um, what the lines were heading into the first three games for Arizona. Because remember, they were supposed to be the worst team in the NFL this year, right? Yeah. They were seven point. Uh, underdogs against Washington in week one covered that. That was only a four-point game. They were four-and-a-half-point underdogs to the New York Giants in week two. Um, ended up just losing out there, uh, covering it, though, still. But remember, they were 28. Was it 28? What did the Giants have at the time? 28-3? They were up. What were they up? Yeah, I think it was 28-3. Anyway, they were up big in that game before eventually losing, but still covering. And then, as we said last week, they were, what, 12-point underdogs and won the game outright. So Vegas hasn't believed in this team all season long, and they've covered every single week and looked pretty good doing it. I, I, that's too many points to me. I think that the Cardinals are feistier than that. Feisty, yeah. Um, Niners pass rush. They got the number one pass rush grade in the league. Again, three weeks in. You know, Some of it's who you face. Some of it's you're awesome. They played the Giants last week and forced the Giants into the third-worst pass-blocking grade we've seen in the last four years. Um, I think they'll have similar – not that level of success, but they'll 
they'll rush the passer well. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, Josh Dobbs running the offense pretty well, keeping the Cardinals close. Kind of with you, Arizona will will hang tough here. Yep, and keep it within the two touchdowns. We'll have a lot more to say on the Niners next week, going up against the Cowboys. Cowboys this week favored by six and a half against the Patriots. That's our next game. Cowboys Patriots. Uh, if two weeks ago this looked like, hey, you know, pretty, you know, it looked like, hey, Dallas should be a touchdown favorite. Does last week change anything? New England gets their first win against the Jets, and Dallas got their first loss against the lowly Arizona Cardinals. But Dallas coming back at home, and um, I, you know, I think they've, I think they got something to prove here after a disappointing game against Arizona. Dallas is another team where the inconsistency is so tough to predict over the last few years. This was the game. Yeah, this. I mean, Denver got embarrassed because somebody hung 70 on them. Dallas got embarrassed because this was the game that every Dallas hater says is always going to come, right? This is like all the memes during that game of Stephen A. Smith, you know, sitting there like just loving life because this is the game this is what he says happens to dallas every single year like don't ever buy into dallas like this is the year they're back baby all that kind of stuff because this will happen and it did it happened against arizona so for a very different reason they were very much embarrassed last week so i think they're as motivated as as that denver defense will be to bounce back and show that that was just a freak game that happens every year in the nfl there are freak results left right and center you just need to show that it doesn't matter by the time you get to January because that's when you can't have those anymore. Um, so on the one hand, I do agree that they're going to be motivated to show that they are still very much a serious team and one of the best in the NFC. Not a great team to be bouncing back with that attitude against, though. New England, the Bill Belichick defense, everything that that comes with. I'd like to look back at uh, a little bit of history and when disappointing games occurred, how how teams did. Right. After what that. is the backlash like? Yeah. And so remember last year in Week 18, Dallas got smoked by the Commanders. Sam Howell's first start, they lose 26 to six. Dak was atrocious. Right. He actually fit the narrative of throwing the ball to the defense for that one week, and that was coming off of a Christmas Eve win against the Eagles, where they scored 40 and they had dropped 54 on the Colts, and they were dominant they were unstoppable yeah, for, they were you know, rolling and then that they game were like happened. seven and one in their last eight games whatever it was lay an egg on in week eight week 18 against the commanders and then the next week's the playoffs and it's like what do you do with this they just had their worst game of the season didn't matter i mean they crushed the bucks um dak and the offense were unstoppable we got a uh, we got a power outage back here um but the cow my point is that the cowboys were fine the following week even on the road they were fine absolutely fine so I expect them to, you know, just because five days ago we thought the Cowboys were a Super Bowl contender and then they laid an egg against Arizona, they're still probably a Super Bowl contender. They're still in the mix. So I expect Dallas to be much better this week. One of my questions, though, is we've, we haven't seen a ton of Mike McCarthy, the play caller, in normal game flows until last week. It was a normal game flow, and we, ha- we didn't have a ton of success offensively. So the... Like, we didn't know the difference between Kellen Moore and Mike McCarthy over the first two weeks. Didn't know much about it. Have we learned a little bit of something? Is this is Mike McCarthy going to be a downgrade over Kellen Moore when you have, you know, a normal, normal game flow every single week? We don't have that information yet. It's not a great sign, I, I would say, for that one week. Yeah. Um, you know, Dallas, I, 
I will say that I think Arizona highlighted some things that will be concerning for Dallas. Like they were physically uh, overmatched on both sides of the ball. They were bullied a bit. Um, Cowboys run defense for like the 30th straight year, despite investment in Mozzie Smith and bringing Jonathan Hankins in last year. Run defense was not great. Right. Um, On offense, uh, you know, they've got that offensive line, I think is still capable of being a very good unit. They've got three of the better graded offensive linemen in the NFL, Tyler Smith, Zach Martin, Tyron Smith. I don't, have they, I don't know if they've played a game. All three I mean, of them have, have three, not played together. Three backups on right. the line last All week. three of those guys have not played at the same time this season, right? So the offensive line hasn't been where it should be uh, or where it was expected to be. The defensive line getting, getting controlled or, or manhandled was a little bit more concerning because obviously they'd been so dominant from a pass rushing point of view. Uh, so far, the first two games, and then the Cardinals went out there and basically said, we're going to run the ball right down your throat, and we're going to you know, use Josh Dobbs as a runner, and we're going to physically control you that way. And it made a massive impact. I mean, it negated a lot of what they were doing. So that, I think, is reasonably concerning for them going into a game against New England, who it's not like the Patriots are not going to pick up on things like that on a short week. On, it it on feels week. like this Patriots team, though, is not as equipped. No, they don't have the offensive line of that, that right? they had in, in the past. In past years, they, they would have – I mean, they've had, they've had one of the worst run-blocking units in the league this year. They were much, uh, much better last week. And then just running back generally, this is the Zeke revenge game, of course, as well. Zeke did have a nice game last week against the Jets. Ramondre, uh, Ramondre Stevenson's been a little disappointing so far this year. Um, theoretically, the Patriots would – would attack that weakness and say, look, we're going to run the ball on the Cowboys. I think what realistically will happen, you know, in the Dome, it'll be another quick hitting passing attack, spread to run, and New England's got to hit some of the shot plays that they take down the field. They have not been an explosive team, but they've been a pretty good dink and dunk underneath passing type of team. That'll help mitigate the Cowboys' pass rush. I don't know if it's enough, though. I just don't know if it's enough. Right. Um, I'm excited to watch Christian Gonzalez, who's been doing very well. Um, over the first few weeks, now he's potentially going up against C.D. Lamb with a viable quarterback, which is a, a different dynamic than you know facing the, the Jets and uh, no quarterback. So Gonzalez has been great. Just a fascinating matchup this week with with a guy like C.D. Lamb or whoever he ends up covering in that Dallas offense. But yeah. that that's one I think that's it's worth watching on a one on one level. Gonzalez has been absolutely fantastic. I think New England's defense is tough. I think it'll be. Low-scoring game. I think it'll be a battle here. Um, see what happens with Dak Prescott here, because your our biggest criticism of Dak is he's not in, he's not a, an offense elevator, and just like hey, every quarterback deals with offensive line injuries and receiver injuries. Does is Dak more a little bit more dependent on those things? When you give him the full supporting cast, he is great. When you don't, not as good. You know, he's still answering those questions for us. But I think Dallas, I think they bounce back. I don't know, six and a half feels like a lot. I think New England will keep it close, but I like Dallas to win this one. Yeah, I am picking the Patriots to cover that. I'm going to do the same. It should be a good game. I think they might be 0-3 against the spread so far this season. Though. New England? Yeah. Did Sorry. they? What was, no, they they covered last week. Covered last week. Because okay. they the so safety. 1-2. One, one and and right, 1-2. and two. Yeah. All right, two more games here. Sunday night football, Kansas City Chiefs at the New York Jets. Another one of those uh, supposed Patrick Mahomes versus Aaron Rodgers matchups. It's the third time it did not happen. We were supposed to get it, and then 
for the third time. Four snaps in. We got Matt Moore, Aaron Rodgers. We got Patrick Mahomes, Jordan Love. And now we get Patrick Mahomes, Zach Wilson instead of Mahomes, Rodgers. Great. So Chiefs and Jets. Chiefs favored by nine and a half on the road against the Jets. You know that uh, Chris and the whole NBC crew were high-fiving when they got this game back in April or May or whenever the schedule came out. Well, they're high-fiving now for a different reason. Apparently Taylor Swift's going to be there. Taylor Swift might help help the ratings a bit. The, the flagging ratings of Sunday Night Football <laughs> just crushes everything yes, every I know, year. which are already – which are already incredible. The Swifties are going to tune in. Mm-hmm. So, look, I think when the Chiefs have the ball, their matchup with the Jets, the Jets pass rush. That's interesting. Yeah, it like, is. It, you're really only watching this game for one side of the ball. Yeah. Like, the score will be whatever the score ends up being, but Kansas City's offense against the Jets' defense is going to be fun to watch. If you're rooting for a competitive game, it's like, all right, how, how again, how much can the Jets' baby Zach Wilson keep him from not turning it over? Can they run it at all? But let's talk Chiefs offense and Jets defense. The Chiefs have played the Lions, Jaguars, and Bears. And I think the Chiefs have one of the best offensive lines, especially from a pass-pro standpoint. The Lions' pass rush was Hutchinson pretty much. The Jags have the number two worst pass rush grade. And the Bears, I don't know where the Bears rank, but they're in the bottom three, and they might be worse than Jacksonville, Mm -hmm. right? This will be the first time the Chiefs are actually challenged up front from a pass protection standpoint. So I'm interested in that. And, of course, with Sauce Gardner and DJ Reed and some players on the back end, they, the Jets' defense can at least kind of keep it close here. Yeah, that's a really good pass rush they have, and they're going up against um, the offense that hasn't seen that yet this season. The other thing is, now that Juwan Taylor is being potentially victimized by officials to make a point, like they've taken him out of the game for the last two games in a row. Because this is getting out of control. Like if they have well, to do to that test again, it. they were trying to test it. Yeah, well, whatever like they're doing, test. whatever they're doing, they're take they're taking him off the field and putting a worse pass blocker on voluntarily because it's better than the penalties that they're drawing, whether or not they're legit. The point being, for the first time, that might actually be a problem because you're going up against a serious pass rush now. Like you can't have your best pass rush or, the, or your best pass protector. Um, at that spot that you're paying $20 million a season to, not on the field because the officials are throwing crazy flags on them. Like, they need to get that figured out, even if it's a case of, hey, Juwan, you need to, like, overcorrect this week, right? You need to be a foot further than you would normally up at the line of scrimmage. Don't move your damn foot. Do not catch a penalty, whatever happens, because you're actually going up against a serious pass rush for the first time. Like, yeah, just just line up in the right spot yeah but i mean at the moment it's like he's like he went from week one there was some piss taking taking place right now it's like we're making a point by flagging you and he's actually not off relative to other tackles now you can say they're all off and they should all be drawing flags and fair enough the people the people in your mentions who said the boss chris should be uh bringing this to light well he's he's got something to talk about now right the point my point being you should overcorrect now, right? Yeah, Whether absolutely. or not he's in the right, clearly they're throwing the flag. So let's make it completely unequivocal. I think Mahomes is uh, number two graded among quarterbacks. Passing grades down a little bit. His rushing grade is outstanding. You know, Mahomes start, that that slow start that we saw in the opening night, where the receivers really let Mahomes down. You know, that's evened off a little bit, and I think that the Chiefs have looked they looked better last week against the Bears. It's still not fully there yet. You know, two weeks ago it was not great against Jacksonville. So I think the Chiefs will hit their stride at some point. But I think this is 
definitely the most challenging defense that they've faced so far. So that, that is compelling on that side of the ball. And again, for the Jets, I mean, as a football fan, you're just rooting for competitiveness <laughs> in prime time, right? It's a, it's a nine and a half point spread. So what can the Jets do to at least keep it close here? So you're rooting for competitiveness or sideline drama. Now, ah. there are already there are multiple instances in three weeks of Jets players looking pretty pissed off and screaming at people on the sideline. And there are reports now that, you know, they're not happy. The defense in particular is not happy that Robert Sala is saying consistently, Zach Wilson's our guy, like continuous support for a guy who's quite clearly not capable of operating I, this thing. I will say, is Zach Wilson good? No. I will say, the stretch of defenses he's had to play. Sure. He stepped in against the Buffalo Bills. He played the Dallas Cowboys and the New England Patriots. Yeah. And we, his history against New England is so bad. We highlighted it last week. That was kind of an expected outcome. As bad as Zach Wilson is, or has played, he's that much worse against the Patriots. Yeah. So I'm not trying... And so the Chiefs defense, by the way, is also one of the Pretty best good. in the league. Yeah. So in addition to Zach Wilson not being good at football right now, he's going up against this very difficult stretch, and I think that's making things look even worse. You agreed. I would make two other points. Number one, that offensive line is not good, right? That's part of the problem here. Yeah. And the offensive line was already looking like a potential problem when Aaron Rodgers was the quarterback. Um, the second point is, like, it's not like they have a bunch of better options. You know what I mean? They signed Trevor Simeon to be the guy who's eventually going to be starting when they have to bench Zach Wilson. But they're in a very tough spot where, like, Aaron Rodgers is still talking about returning for the playoffs, right? And even if he isn't, he's returning next year. I don't know that you can just go and, like, sign Kirk Cousins because Rodgers expects to be the quarterback still, right? Yeah. So you're in a tough spot where if you're signing anybody or trading for anybody – it's a stopgap. It's, it's to be viable this season. And number one, there aren't a lot of those guys around. Number two, there's even fewer of them if you're, th if you're talking about just signing somebody off the street. Anybody that can play NFL games is, generally speaking, already on a roster right now, right? So the defense is correctly, justifiably pissed off that they are playing out of their minds and still losing every week effectively because their quarterback is garbage. Uh, from a coaching perspective, I don't know that there's a fix to that because, like, if you bench Zach Wilson, like, all the, all the defense wants is for you to basically acknowledge the self-evident fact that Zach Wilson has no business starting NFL games, right? And you go, okay, fire enough. That's, that's true. Let's make a change. Now Trevor Simeon is starting. Well, that's going to last two weeks before the same thing is true. And then you have to start Tim Boyle. And then the same thing is true. Like, you know what I mean? There's no answer to that. You are... Your quarterback, whoever it is, is not good enough for this team to be winning games. So the Jets' defense is only going to get increasingly pissed off as the weeks go by. The, the problem right now is, again, whether it's Zach Wilson himself or a combination of him going up against good defenses, he is at that level of when he completes a pass for a first down, it's like you're a little surprised. <laughs> it's, I mean, so if you brought Carson Wentz in off the street, would he be better? I mean, that's would the they one win, option. Right? Would they win? I don't know. Would they at least have a chance? Yeah. They'd have a chance. That's, I, right? To me, You'd that's say, hey, one. Carson Wentz can make three or four throws in this game. Yeah. And if the defense keeps it clo close, they're all right. You don't, like, with Zach Wilson, it's like, I, if he just doesn't turn it over, it feels like a win. If he completes, if he has a couple first downs, all right, he's, he's exceeding expectations. Right. It's that level right now that is, um, to me, struggle. Carson Wentz is the only potential option that would, 
theoretically give them a better shot or a better spot than where they are right now. Now, the thing is, who knows what Carson Wentz wants money-wise to do this? Like, maybe Carson Wentz is out here going, sure, I'll come play for you, but it's going to cost $20 million. At which point you're like, well, hell no. No, you can't do that. You know what I mean? So, And that could be happening. Nobody knows, right? You're not going to announce that publicly, right? Yeah, we reached out to Carson, but it turns out he wants a shit ton of money, so we're out, right? You would say nothing because you can't publicly state that Zach Wilson is only there because Carson Wentz wanted too much money. So if that was happening, we wouldn't know about it. Um, and it, you know, it, it could be. But my point being... This is another game where the Jets' defense is, on, is likely to be upset by how it goes. Um, we've said this a few times throughout the Patrick Mahomes era. You know, when, when, the, when he gets the defense on the other side of average, you know, what's going to happen then? Right now, the Chiefs' number four defense and EPA per play allowed, they've been outstanding. Again, who they played, but they played well against the Lions, played well against the Jags, got a little help from Jags receivers, dominated the Bears last week for whatever that's worth, but the Chiefs' defense looking much better than they have in recent years. So, man, I know I take the favorites a lot, but I think the Chiefs cover. It's a lot of points. The nine and a half, even on the road. I'm picking the Chiefs, too. We still have a game to go. One game to go. Seahawks and Giants, Monday Night Football. Giants. Is this right? It's in New York. Giants favored by one here on Monday Night Football. We should get Andrew Thomas back at left tackle. Um, Seattle coming off of two straight wins here. They're up to two and one. Geno Smith with a couple nice games back-to-back. And uh, the Giants, as I mentioned way back earlier in the show, coming off a game where they had the third-worst pass-blocking grade that we've seen over the last four years last week against the Niners. Yeah, Andrew Thomas will make a big difference, but he is he is but one man. Uh, and that, that offensive line's problems run deeper than that. But it's, uh, a, it's an important step. It's another one. So this will be the probably the best two-game stretch for Seattle's defense as far as having success up front because they had Carolina last week you had Mario Edwards you had Jaron Reed you had Boye Mafe all play well up front all take advantage of that weak Panthers offensive line they might have another chance again the Giants will have some other players back even Ben Bredesen I think should be back instead of Shane Lemieux Um, Shane Lemieux's had a tough time pass blocking yeah in his career Mm mm-hmm PFF grades have not been kind. What is his career pass blocking grade? It's got to be awful. Oh, gosh. He's got some – he's just got, like, multiple single digits. Every season of his career – Every season of his career that he's played more than 17 snaps, he has a pass blocking grade of 16.9 or worse. Yeah. That's not great. Yeah, I was was with my brother-in-law the other day. He used to D3 football player. Doesn't pay a ton of attention. I was like, watch the left guard. (laughs) I was like, just watch this. And next play, it was like – Boom. 0.8 seconds. Yeah. Poor I mean, Shane. The thing but the, I don't think, you know, so that was part of the, the rough week. Yeah. So the Giants offensive line just needs to get back to, like, can it be even vaguely viable? Forget creep back toward average. Creep back towards just not being an absolute total train wreck in a single game. Daniel Jones is, he's actually only, quote unquote, the fourth highest rated, uh, highest Pressured at the highest rate in the NFL. Fourth most under pressure quarterback in the league this season um, by rate, by percentage of dropbacks. But when it's been bad, it's been completely non-viable. Like, does not function. Absolute disaster. If they can just get... And they're going up against a pretty bad pass rush in Seattle. If that number could just be 35%, the offense can work, you know? And then we can see what we're dealing with. If it's a 45, 40, you know, 50-plus... It just can't really function in those circumstances. 
Um, the other stat that I wanted to throw out there is the Giants defense, uh, very similar to the Vikings, the way they blitz like crazy and blitzing like crazy and getting the number 28 EPA per play. So again, the Giants are aggressive. Some might even say suicidal. <laughs> They're aggressive and it's not working a whole lot. The Kayvon Thibodeau grade is one of the biggest surprises for me this entire football season. I think he's in the 30s from a, from a PFF grade standpoint. Um, he looked, uh, he was good last year. He was good as a rookie. He, was, he had a good rookie season, and I am shocked that he has not been able to build on that. I thought the Giants' defensive line would, would cover some of the question marks on the back end. And Dexter Lawrence has played outstanding. And, you know, Leonard Williams has done his thing, but not having any semblance of edge rush, no production from Kayvon Thibodeau, I think really hurting the Giants, especially, again, when they're going to be aggressive up front. Yeah, he hasn't been good at all. Um, yeah, he was solid as a rookie and, and flashed a lot in terms of pass rush, and it's just not been there so far through the first few weeks. That's a massive blow to them. Um, you know, there's some players individually on that defense that are playing reasonably well, but the collective is not working because they're they're trying too hard again like a lot like minnesota they've got more talent i think to work with but it's it's not been good um really impressed by devin witherspoon from what we've seen from him yes yes and it's the same things that we saw in college like his anticipation his reading of the game for a player that is a rookie is so exceptionally ahead of the curve relative to other young cornerbacks um you know he might not have the physical tools the size that some of these other guys have even the movement skills but his, he's so far ahead in, in his head. Like he's ahead, he's two steps ahead of where other DBs are because he reads it faster. And that was what he did at, at Illinois. It has translated in, in small sample size so far. And if that's a thing, if that's a strength of his, you know, in perpetuity, it's give, it gives him such an advantage relative to some other guys. He, he, ha, he might be Pete Carroll's favorite player of all time, right? The way he <laughs> plays, like if he just had 33-inch arms, that like Pete would adopt him. That's his guy. <laughs> I mean, the way he flies around the field, he's getting dirty in the run game the last couple of weeks. 5'11", 181, if he was 6'2", 210. Could you imagine? <laughs> that would be like... You'd already be in Pete Carroll's will. That's like Sherman, Earl, and Cam all rolled into one for him. Kind of is, the way he plays. He's awesome. Um, so yeah, Witherspoon's been a lot of fun. Sounds like Reek Wollen, not to Reek. Reek Wollen uh, could be back here for the Giants game and... I, I am interested. Seattle doesn't like to play matchups when they with their corners, but like when you have Witherspoon and Woolen healthy, yeah, you have two completely different styles and body types. That if you want to play matchups, gives you the option to. It, yeah. it, it adds a ton of flexibility to the defense. We'll see if they end up doing that. Um, again, Geno Smith continues to impress me because he was he wasn't good week one against the Rams, and he he bounces back right as soon as you want to write him off. Geno Smith bounces back. Did it last week too. Two two pretty bad interceptions. He, comes back he fights back um one thing i'm looking for in the blitz heavy scheme jackson smith and jigba for the seahawks off to a slow start the rookie who i thought would be much better right out the gate this could be the type of game where you know hot receiver get open quick against the blitz that smith and jigba could have some success if he's going to break out this is the week mm -hmm. my prediction. i was trying to work out so the the reek woolen thing it, it obviously sounds a little bit weird but i also only just realize that the reason reek woolen in particular reek the game of thrones thing like the the reek you don't you don't watch game of thrones Anybody no i did know? i watched it you watched it yeah well that was the you know reek that's not you don't want to name yourself after that 
Well, that was probably like R-E-K-E. Oh, right? sure. It's not spelled the same. But my yeah. point being, that's the same sound. You don't, you don't want to name yourself after that my mind particular character. There. My mind didn't go Mine there. didn't either until just now. Just it's did. like, why does Reek keep ringing a chord somewhere in my brain? That's why. I don't like name changes after good seasons. I mean, look <laughs> at, you know, that's all I'm saying. Like, Robbie Anderson's career has, you know, the decline has directly correlated with all the various name, name changes. changes. You know, Until last week. Um, Shaquille Leonard with the Colts. You know, he's been injury prone since changing from Darius. You just, yeah. I, don't, I don't think you mess with the name if things are going well. Robbie Chosen now has the potential to go. To, he's got one more change left before he has to start a new cycle. He can go back to R-O-B-B-Y Chosen. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But he's averaging 68 yards a pop right now, so... Stick with it, mm-hmm. Robbie Chosen. All right, man. Um, it's Monday Night Football. We've been here for seven hours. Let's make Sweet. a pick here. Oh God! Seahawks at the Giants. Giants favored by one. I'll take, hmm. I'll take Seattle. I'm going to take the Giants. Wonderful. No good it? reason. But are I'm we taking. done already? Uh, according to a press release, the XFL and the USFL are officially going to merge. It's happening. I did see that. That was like two hours ago on the show. They posted that, and I, you know, that's good. I see an hour ago. But Is there yeah, a name? It was some time before. Is there of the league? Yeah. Uh, I haven't seen a name of the league yet. I don't think we should dedicate a tremendous amount of time to it. You're aware we're still on the air, and you're just sitting there silently staring at a screen. Yeah, well, the, the Red Sox released a statement about Tim Wakefield and his wife, and I don't know what that's about. Feels like it's something you could probably address after the show goes, you know. Well, I don't know what Tim Wakefield's a Red Sox legend, knuckleballer, and I don't know what happened. So I was. I see. And I still don't know what happened. All right. It's a good show, man. Yeah, so there's no details in this as to what it's going to be or look like or something. About Tim like. Wakefield? No, the XFL. Oh, but the USFL. USFL, and the XFL. Got it. Got it. Um, I assume, who's the commissioner of the USFL? I assume him and The Rock will fight for some sort of <laughs> naming rights at WrestleMania. <laughs> Right? <laughs> I it made know. Sam laugh. He thinks I'm funny now. All right, guys. We appreciate everybody for tuning in. Uh, you'll be back here tomorrow with Brad. Yeah. Recapping a little Thursday night football. I'll be back, of course, Monday morning, 7 a.m. Set your alarm, 7 a.m. Eastern. We go live recapping all of these games for a good six to eight hours. So we appreciate everybody for tuning in. I'll see you again Monday. Sam will see you tomorrow.